and welcome back to Scout Talk, everyone. In today's episode, we are joined by Spectator6, who has been in the Tarkov community for quite some time, is my understanding, and is a, uh official BSG-employed emissary. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but it sounds Not fancy. <laughs> it's a representative. Representative, there we go. And we're going to be discussing Tarkov and how you got started in Escape from Tarkov, a little bit about some of your content that I've taken some sneak peeks at, and uh, cool. really interested to get your take on some of these subjects here. But thanks for joining awesome. us. Yeah, good to be here, good to be here. Uh, so yeah, I'm Spectator6. I've been playing since like uh, I think the end of like 2017. Um, and people might know me most if, if we have any forum dwellers here. Uh, I'm kind of a big, known for my long-winded uh, deep dives and stuff. Uh, so that's kind of what, what got it started on that end is a lot of, a lot of great discussions in the community on just, just tons of different topics. Um, and kind of as those, as those discussions got more and more, let's say, involved or engaged, I just tried to, okay, how, how can I share this idea? Instead of doing uh, crappy, uh, you know, drawings and putting mm -hmm. them up there, that it kind of naturally took itself to going like online. I said, hey, let's, let's, go, let's go to YouTube and make some videos of this kind of stuff. Uh, and that kind of really helped. Again, just bringing a whole new wave of people, uh, just talking, discussing, understanding certain things, and kind of riffing off of each other. So it's really, really cool. That brings back memories of back in when <laughs> much younger church. I used to, uh, you know, when forums were more popular and some of the games I played, I would like come up with these MS Paint maps, be like, yo, wouldn't this be nice. a cool map? And like, you know, draw it out, like, you know, <laughs> here's bombsite B, here's bombsite A, you know, take like, uh -huh, uh -huh. take like inspiration from real life places. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah good uh good um it's always cool getting involved in the community and you know kind of getting that start of coming up with these ideas putting on paper and it's sort of like the evolution of the next step the next step you know start with maybe yeah, like yeah. A, a blog or maybe some graphic illustrations and then video and stuff to really expand upon your ideas and it's cool stuff i like it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's cool yeah, it's 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 a, it's a really funny thing actually because I think when I first started playing Tarkov, I was very much a big Reddit guy when I first yeah. came on, and it's I find it interesting how these things have developed. I think that's partly because of my historic involvement with gaming communities previously, which, as Church said, was very much forum based. And mm -hmm. as a strategy gamer beforehand, it was like websites like Game Replays and things like this, where everybody would congregate. Um, but it was really before the birth of of industrialization of youtube i guess and it's, it's so funny you see you know posts like like yours or, or you know, it makes sense for a lot of people to convert these into video format for youtube because when they're on reddit they kind of go on to reddit and that's that's it as a post but yeah, i don't yeah. know youtube has kind of become its own beast as well these days so even though i used to spend a lot of time on reddit i spend much less time on there now and some of these things i don't know people I don't, maybe it's just because people are not used to reading walls of text anymore i feel like it's maybe a uh, people have just got used to watching videos while they're doing something else or, or something like that. But um, reading a lot of text is something that seems to have fallen out of fashion. There used to be a ton of blogs and all sorts of things that I, that I used to read. And now ever so much has converted over into the video format. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, it's kind of strange um, how that kind of works out. And I can, I can kind of see it because, you know, they say the picture paints a thousand words and you can talk over your video, but then you can also put up graphics and explain things. And sometimes it's quite hard to do in the format of a Reddit post, especially if it's complicated, you know. I think Reddit's really good if you're describing something relatively straightforward or you're just putting forward a viewpoint or something for a quick discussion. But yeah, if, if you're doing something like, you know, your technical posts that I've seen a couple of and um, somebody like Tower is the perfect example who puts these 
immaculately detailed Reddit post together with all different optics <laughs> and about how this this one should be, uh, you know, should be this in real life, but it's actually not. Da, 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 and you have to put all these images and stuff. Sometimes it's actually easier to demonstrate in the video format. So I can I can kind of see why it sort of moved over into that that fashion. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm still a big fan of the old school posting. You know, the the old Reddit post you read through. It's still it's still something that's close to my heart for my early years in gaming and reading various forums sure. and on advice and how, how things came together. But um, like, do you, do you find yourself posting more stuff on YouTube because of that? Or do you, do you stick to Reddit mainly? Do you feel like, what do you think? Yeah, I kind of, uh, if I'm doing anything long form, I tend to go on the forums just because the way you can put pictures up, the way you can link things, it's easier to just read on there with, with Reddit. You can, you can post links and stuff. You have to click off it, go to, go to whatever images you're picturing. This can be like inline. What you're mm. So I still like to do that, but it's also maybe like we're talking about just our rhythms and stuff as people. Whenever I'm thinking of something, I, I think about it for a while, right? So I'll be driving, I'll be taking notes, you know, make, dictating notes to myself on breaks. I'll jot down. So I had, by you know, a few days' time, I had this huge compendium of things I brought in, whether it's other people's replies or things going on. And I try to like address all that and then, okay, here it is, <laughs> you know. So there's some kind of, I don't know, uh, craft to it, let's say, that I kind of like that rhythm of it. But at the same time, there's also something really cool, like even like this, with the live video feed talking conversationally, there's so much more that comes across on a more personal level. It's more relatable, more whatever. So I've kind of had to learn a little bit to kind of let my hair down a little bit and kind of be like, hey, you know what? Doesn't have to be some some polished uh, writing thing that I like to go through and do. Right? Just just talk to people. Just share it. Just what's going on. So having that immediacy is kind of really fun. It's, it's, a, it's a neat thing to have, too, for sure. Yeah, it's a different vibe. I know that there is something about, I actually, I mean, obviously I really like the YouTube format because it's what I've ended up sort of specializing in myself, but there is something to be said about these broader, you know, if you're sat talking to somebody for half an hour about a particular topic rather than distilling everything down, because there's so much that goes on on YouTube in terms of video construction and when you put different bits and pieces and you're trying to like distill something down into, you know, the, the quick take, right? Even if it's something is 10 minutes long, you can't really fluff it or pad it out because people will, people know and they'll click away and they get bored. Um, and so that's why sometimes these longer style discussions are actually good in some ways. Also, YouTube's very one-sided because it's just, it's just you just speaking and that's it. There's not a back and forth like there is on Scavtalk, which is one of the reasons why this is such a, a, a nice format that, that I like. It's, uh, it's very, very cool. It's very, very cool. Um, so how long, how long have you been playing EFT? How, have you been in the game for a long time? Like yeah, a super, yeah. So super, super I think it was timer? like November 2017 is when I, when I, when I wow. initially got it. And that was with, you know, before that, I was a bunch of, you know, with this Arma or this kind of more, more realistic type uh, bending, bending games. And a friend just sent me a link one time. Hey, check this out. So I did watch some videos. And, hey, it's pretty cool, you know. And uh, bought it and kicked the tires. And I think that's, I think it was just after they went on a public release uh, on the, on the closed beta public release. So, so yeah, I've been, been here for a long time. Seen a lot of different iterations, a lot of different incarnations of uh, how this thing has formed, you know, and it's just, I know from a little bit of a software awareness side of it, I, I have to just, whether we agree, disagree with whatever decisions they've been making, man, that whole process of being like on the ground floor of seeing a game take shape at least in my mind, is so new today. Most, most, whether it's a closed beta cycle or anything like that, it's like that you catch the tail end, right? We're going to do a paid closed beta, and we we really want your feedback, and it goes for maybe like a few weeks or a month, right? And then you realize by the time your feedback, if you even do anything, gets in there, you realize, okay, they didn't really, they didn't really change anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any time to make any big drastic adjustments. 
it's not, it's, you know, they've kind of oversold it. It's not really what we thought it would be. And I kind of feel like in some ways, maybe because I've been around the block for so long with all these different games, it's kind of different cycle, all these different iterations and how games are made. You see that, man, I really do think BSG is one of those cool old school, old school uh, groups who are like, no, we want you guys along for the ride. And we mean it. You know, we mean it. We want your feedback. We want your input. And you're going to have to see us, warts and all, kind of build this thing as we're going. And it's going to, for people who are who can under, understand that and appreciate it, like, wow, that, I think it's kind of really fun to be kind of on the ground floor and really see things take shape. Uh, so I, I, I've really enjoyed it. And I'm one of those guys who can be a little more patient. If there's, I mean, how was back in the days when it, no matter good day, bad night, whatever, we're talking 15 minutes to, to matchmake all the time. And then you get in and the net code was not improved at all, right? Not even close to where it is today. And it was just, man, but we all just had to kind of just laugh about it and just say, man, but we, there's something about this this game that we like. We can't let it go. So we'd all just stick around. And, you know, maybe maybe it's part of uh, my age or something too, but it's just we were we were all understanding of it. You know, like, hey, it's so cool. You know, we're here. Uh, if it takes a while to get in, no big deal. We're here to, uh, to still kick the tires and try it out, you know, so – uh, we've always been a little more sympathetic and understanding with that. Uh, yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I mean, Tarkov does generally have a slightly older demographic anyway, with people who are a bit more patient. And there's obviously a lot of crossover with the armor community and the Milsim community and that kind of game in general. And people are more willing to put up with some timing and, and things like that. But the, I guess the only thing that I, I really wish that they would put something in so that while we're matchmaking, we can sort our stash or whatever. But even if they just lock off your PMC and allow you yeah, to organize yeah. your stash while you're loading into queue, because that takes such a long time in general to do. Yeah. If you could sell stuff on the flea market while you're queuing or whatever, I think that would actually be a huge quality of life thing for people. Even, but, um, even if it's pretend, right? They think they're messing with their stash. It's okay. really not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, right? you get a back-end error after all of it. But, you know, <laughs> you, you thought you were doing something, so uh, it's fine. Or even just, like, you know, if you have a Tetris, you could, like, play Tetris in the loading queue. There you go, like, there you something go. Something very basic, I think it would be, would be quite good. But... Um, no, I think there's a lot of people have a lot of tolerance for, for Tarkov. I know that the community cries about this, that, and the other, but um, there's really no game like it. And I, I don't really know of any other game where, you know, because there's there's kind of two sides to it where people say, let Nikita make the game that they want to make and, you know, stop complaining about stuff, which I do see a lot. And I remember Nikita at one point being like, yes, but also, you know, I listen to what people have to say. And he said no to VoIP initially and changed his yeah, mind yeah, because yeah. of the way the community was talking about it and saying, this, this dude, this is going to be so fun. This is going to be so good. This is only going to be positive for the game. And he changed his mind. And, and that's, you know what? That's fine. He's only human. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the thing. He's you know kind of down at our level more so than usual devs. And for all of the crap that people give BSG, at least they integrate with their community nicely in that way. And they do listen to feedback, even if it doesn't always go in, right? It's He's... And Nikita in particular is listening to what everybody says and funneling that through his own version of what he thinks the Tarkov experience should be like. And he's trying his best to put that in place. Um, and so, you know, he's he's open to ideas. Just because you tell it to him doesn't mean it's going to go in the game. But if he thinks it's going to be good sure. for the overall vision, then then it'll it'll make its way in eventually. So yeah. I and do to think your that point, that, that, live conversa- that live conversation thing, like you're saying, what other developer out there has a... CTO that'll sit down and you have these live open-ended conversations, non-scripted, non-whatever, where he really is off the cuff sharing. I have not seen that. I mean, I really can't count on three fingers how many times I've seen that in the game dev industry. Mm. And they've been they've been at this for years now uh, with pushbacks, with, you know, ups and downs, with the uh, sentiment um, up from the, and then he, they still stuck with it. 
And that's that's so cool. You know, that's, that's still neat and rare in my mind in today's gaming industry for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So when did you become, I guess, well, you, you're, you're an emissary, right? Uh, yeah, for, emissary, for the US. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. When, when did you become an emissary? What kind of led you to get taking that role on? Like for both them approaching you and you, you saying yes. Yeah, right. I think it was uh, a little bit over a year ago now. Uh, and that was just uh, good old Tobias Solom was uh, used to be a, a community manager head. And it was uh, he's a, he was a great guy. And he reached out to me. And, uh, you know, just, that's where the conversation started. And uh, it's a little bit different. Most people, most of the emissaries, are, there's a good, good, good group of people all around. And they kind of we each have a little somewhat uh, different roles, different things we like to do and share and stuff. And I'm kind of more like the I don't know. I like to be kind of more of a back a back end type guy where uh, I don't I don't do the big streaming or the big twitching and all that kind of stuff. But uh, again, I, I got pulled in some of again my uh, my walls of text and all my long form posts stuff. They said, "Hey, we like this stuff. Let's come in here, be a part of this, and just join our crew. See what happens." I said, "Okay, cool, well, yeah." So, and it's been it's been a really fun ride. There's a lot of a lot of great people uh, in the company and in that group, and I have nothing but good things to say about all those all those guys. It's, it's a really good healthy environment. Lots of good discussions. Lots of good. Uh, Again, they really encourage that. And it, it's great. It's really, really cool. Good. That is really, really good. That is good. Church, was there any particular topics that you wanted to f- highlight first? Was there any like specific things that you, you wanted to, uh, you know, pick brains about and, and open up the, the debate about? Because there's actually a few, there's a few that I, I had in mind. But, yeah. Uh... Well, the one burning on my mind is inertia because I remember, I, I was just thinking, I want to say the algorithm youtube algorithm served me one of your videos about inertia or maybe i was searching for inertia um because back in when troll troll first drop you know it was just like it wasn't that great it was a hard experience for me and um yeah i wanted to see what other people because i think around that time too i was seeing the uh the whole guides or exploits or how to's do like the quick peeking and all these like inertia hacks and whatever so i was really curious if you know if someone had a video on this subject i think maybe i even saw one from Tayoff too but anyhow i i found your video and i liked what you had to say and i was kind of like you know surprised um because i feel like this is sort of my own bias is like some of the um realism people if you will don't always Maybe I shouldn't say don't always. They, they, I don't. It's a bias where I feel like they're just like it has to be realistic no matter what. And I feel like you're saying that, but you're also saying in the context of you know it's a game, and here's examples from other games that may or may not be realistic. But this is like, and you even showed like a real life demonstration. I remember you had the camera pointing down your feet, sort of like walking. like, yes, the Tarkov doesn't do that. It's exactly what, it, yeah. So anyways, um, what's sort of your take on inertia back then? Like, why did you want to make that video? Yeah, right. Uh, well, that's kind of it, right? Like, like you just said, it was a, a new feature to Tarkov. And mm-hmm. I think whether it's a... a the, the realistic realism thing. I'm one of those guys. I understand that. That's where my brain likes to go with personal experience and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also understand from a game design standpoint, right? And the way it's portrayed and perceived, the way we do this thing with a mouse and a keyboard and monitors, right? There are, it's a, there's a difference that has, there's a concessions that have to be made. It's a balance always because it's not a one-for-one trade-off ever. So I always, I always have to kind of play with that edge and get people to kind of question what, what is realism? What is realistic? That is that ick and that ism. That's where mm-hmm. the, that's where the fun, that's where the fun stuff lies. Right. 
And I know with, with inertia, a lot of people gave it a bad rap initially. And I can kind of sympathize with that. Okay, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, right? But what's interesting is if you see, we know, a lot of people would say, but we know like the ambition for why it should be done. Like a lot of people, no one likes to be jiggle peaked, right? This yeah, is stupid. Yeah. What kind of game is this, right? Because that does kind of take people out of the impression of what they think a game like a Tarkov should be. Exactly. Right? They watch the marketing, they watch like the, the short mm-hmm. films that they put out. They said, man, that's what I want is something like that, right? And they get in there, and it's like speedrunner Mario game. It's like, what the heck, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? It's not even close. So I think a lot of people in the community can understand that at least the incentives behind it, right? Here's, mm-hmm. here's why we're trying to bring this in. And now how you translate that into the, into the game, that's where it becomes the fun part. And I say fun, and <laughs> again, go back to my old school patient way. That's fun. That, there's no, like, book BSG can open the perfect way to do a nursery yeah. in the game. Yeah. Step one, two, right? It's not there. It doesn't exist. And you see there's a lot of different games, and I think that may be the video I put in. I try to show. Here's a bunch of different games that we all like. No one really has shouted a big fire horn about it. Oh, my gosh. And no one cared, right, in these other games. It's a different take, though, and here's some of the nuances, the nitty-gritty details of what make those different. And it's kind of like, as B- again, as BSG is building this out, we are their testing base. They kind of have to see what do we like, what do we not like, what do we need to massage a certain way, or mm-hmm. right. And I know, at least at least on my one of my biggest things, the biggest critique a lot of people took of it was they called it an input delay. They felt like they were sliding on ice and like yeah. just kind of just hockey puck, right? Just, what that. the heck? I'm trying to change direction. What is happening, right? And that's where it becomes very interesting from a like a game design standpoint for user input. Mm-hmm. What does it mean when you push a key? Mm-hmm. A lot of play- people are used to when you push a key, it means immediate action, right? But if we start talking about like the physiology of when we step and move in real life, when we push a key in real life, right? We have the uh, benefit of feeling our bodies. We know yeah. the muscle tone. We feel our actual, whether it's anything or the inner ear, all this kind of stuff. We can feel present and we know something's happening, Right. With a game, we don't have those types of like feedback loops. It's yep. just mostly a visual. I press a key. Did I see anything on the screen or hear anything in my in my set to make me know the game is registering something, right? And players at least want to know that's happening. And I think there's a little disconnect with players. A lot of time, they kind of still do to a certain extent. Feel like I'm pushing a key and I'm always lagging. I've, I'm, there's never an immediate response. So there's some cool stuff they could do. Uh, again, it's their game. I'm, I'm just talking out loud. There's some cool stuff you can do with games where you give suggestions of, again, of this, of movement, right? And a lot of, a lot of times they do that with, with, with camera position or, you, or like focal point, focal planes with the, with, when you run, for example, you see that like a lot of games do that. Well, they'll, they'll, do, they'll change the focus point a little bit where you feel like you're kind of zooming in a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. To feel that rush of wind or something. Again, these kind of like, there's, uh, so there's some little things they can maybe play with. To let people know, have that immediate feedback of, oh, I know my character's trying to do something now. I, I can rest easy, right? I, I know the game is processing something, right? And on the other end of that, that's <laughs> you thought that when I showed my feet. That was what I was trying to show. Was I kind of used the example of, I think it was like a pirate ship. I just came back from like a vacation with my family. We were riding all these uh, amusement park rides. <laughs> and one of them that my kids liked was, was the pirate ship. So that's what, mm-hmm. I, that's what I thought of back then was the pirate ship motion of you go and gradually, like, like a pendulum come yeah. back gradually. But we know in real life, that's not what it seems like to us. Mm-hmm. You know, most people have not worn full kit, full gear, lots of weight. They don't know what it's like to move like a huge, huge hole, right? 
we're used to feeling like a basketball player, right? Where we step and jive and juke and all that kind of stuff. It is more immediate. And we feel that quickly, quick deceleration as our foot comes out, right? Hard stop, boom. And then we feel ourselves build our muscle tone as we then push off, right? So again, if you think of like, if you picture Tarkov as like a, as like a time gap, if we, again, we can agree that we don't want people to move instantly. We, agree, we, all, we all can agree we don't want to go back to pinball Tarkov, right? Yeah. So what do you do within that window? If let's, let's say Tarkov, through their testing, through player feedback, we kind of get, okay, here's kind of a fuzzy range of where we feel like people feel comfortable with, where key press to, to, to something happening, like, phys- like physically moving the character, right? But then within that time window, again, there's lots of different things they can play with. You could show a, a hard, fast deceleration and like a pause and then more of a quicker step off, right? Like a lift off and acceleration. So again, if you picture like maybe some things they could start playing with are different representations. Instead of the gradual, like a smooth curve, make it more like immediate, like a immediate mm-hmm. drop off and more of an immediate pickup, right? And just see, again, just try it. What do people like? Do they like it more? Do they like it, like it less? What's going on? But, and not to go too long-winded on this, but what's interesting here is, what I showed in that video is, a lot of people complain to myself too. Even if you're naked, you go in with nothing, just a pistol or just, just pure, just, just your hatchet, people still feel like, whoa, whoa, I shouldn't have much of anything right now. My guy should be allowed in his feet quick and movement, but I still feel a delay. So what's going on? Okay, well, here's what's interesting. And one of the other ones I, I made was called, a, I called it minimum movement distance. Came up with that, right? And I, that's something I, I've been harping on that on the, everywhere else for a long time. I said, hey, let me, let me try to coalesce it into another idea here. Where if you, again, what does a key press represent? If you do it in Tarkov, as quick as you can, ding, you'll see the character steps a set distance that's actually pretty significantly larger than most other games. Yeah. You're able to, you're able to just tip tap on your keys in other games, and your guy will take these barely small incremental movements, right? Mm-hmm. So players can feel like they can control themselves. They feel like they're, again, they're present with the character. Whereas with Tarkov, what's happening is you press that, you have a step that goes out, and maybe you change your mind, like, like we all do in games. We, do, we don't realize how often we, we, we change directions in, in first-person shooters. The game has registered our change of direction. It's just it hasn't entered that phase yet where it can do the next movement. You know what I mean? So... But that that minimum movement that minimum movement distance in Tarkov has always been a thing, always, and I, and that's not something we see, at least I'm aware of. I haven't seen any other first person shooter. I don't know why it's there. I'm not blaming it. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying I'm not familiar with other games having that and kind of how they've managed to work through that, you know, development process of refining it, and getting it to where it feels good to players. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's just the the only thing I was going to say about it is, I I like I like what they've done so far with it. It is definitely a big change compared to the way it was before. But it's interesting because I was playing, um, I was at a LAN recently, and we were playing some CS:GO, which I haven't played in ages. And it just reminded me actually how much inertia there is in CS. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't played it for a long time, and um, you know, if if you put the CS inertia into Tarkov, it actually probably would be very similar to how it is now. Except if if you slowed down to a crawl when you got shot, people would would cry to high heaven <laughs> in EFT. And you know when you're like you're just around the corner and someone hits you and your character goes to like almost no speed whatsoever. It's actually infuriating in CS, but it's just the way it is. Um obviously Tarkov has a, a different mechanic. Um I feel like it's probably kind of okay now. I think there's just some 
the differences that I was feeling between the two games after playing a little bit of something else, because normally I don't really play any other FPSs, <laughs> is that the immersion in CS always feels very consistent. Let's put it that way. So the, the curves of yeah, movement that's... always feel the same, no matter what. Right. Whereas right. in Tarkov, we have kind of the whole the circle, uh, the circle straight thing, which allows you to kind of circumvent it a little bit. And yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like you feel like you stop and sometimes you're moving, as you were saying, there's like the minimum distance when you're, if you're stationary and you move, there's that minimum distance before you can then move again back the other way and things like that. And um, I remember when Inertia first came in, I think a, what a lot of people were complaining about the most was missing doors and things. I know Church actually complained about this, you know, but being, <laughs> even not even being that overweight, but just being at low levels of strength and not being used to it, going from 12.11 Inertia to 12.12, which was the most uh-huh. jarring experience of, of all of them. But just yeah. you're overshooting stuff. Um, yeah. And I think it was that process of slowdown because I feel like, and this is the thing, this is where the, the crux is, and it's so hard, and this is more art than science. It's very hard to know how the player's going to feel about it until they actually use it and try the, these different modes out, which yeah. I suppose they did in ETS, I, I guess. That was the idea. Um, but then we ended up testing one particular version for the entirety of 12.12. But the deal is, is that sometimes things, even small tweaks in values, I've talked about this before. So when they changed the uh, semi-auto threshold limit over... The difference between having the next shot go as soon as it can at the lower cap rate versus the next shot just being completely ignored if it's if it's out you know if it's too fast yeah 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 those things programmatically are almost the same but for the user experience they feel completely different yeah those, yes. those scenarios are quite interesting because they can have you know radical different um we can have a radically different outcome on the player just with very minor tweaks in the code and I feel this is just this is just my opinion, and I could be wrong on this, but my opinion on it is that people seem to be more sensitive to the the slowdown than they do to the initial speed up in the first place. So if you let go of the key and the the player character continues to move, that seems to really really annoy people. The, <laughs> the, the speed up, yeah, sure, you know, people say, oh, it's input. There's a bit of input lag and da da da. And as you're saying, maybe you could do something to signify more on screen what's happening to make people feel like their character you know they have agency over their character rather than a you know the incremental um speed up but uh yeah the 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 floatiness when people are trying to change direction they're they're holding the you know the right strafe and they're still moving left and like that's the stuff that makes people feel like they're ice skating and it's awful i do, I do feel like a lot of that's been ironed out though in fairness yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a great yeah. point you're talking about using other games as a reference that, that's exactly right the um that that's a great great bomb, you know, uh, set a mark. Just see what do you like, what do you not like, what's going on, you know. Uh, whether it's fired up <laughs> good old PUBG not long ago, right? And just try that out again, and you see again a, a different dev company's take on it. That does it achieve the same end? Does it achieve a similar goal? Well, what they do? How they, you know, what what's something that we like about it? You know. And again, going back to what we were saying earlier about about the BSG as a company, man, I really do believe these guys are. Hard driven. They want to make it right. They want to do the. I mean, think about this. They work so hard at this game. They're not going to let. I. I sincerely doubt they're going to let something as insignificant as inertia really be a stick in everyone's side. That oh, I would love the game if only I could stop and get a door like I wanted to. Right? They're not. I. I, I highly doubt they're going to let that just hang out there and turn off so many players. That, that doesn't make any sense. That especially if we could all agree upon. Something that achieves the right thing and also feels better, right? Feels more responsive too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very promising what they've done with twelve, twelve, thirty, and subsequent patches because I d- it took them probably a little bit too long, but we've ended up in a place with the new wipe that it feels good. I think a lot of people agree that it feels good. Maybe there'll be some tweaks required, but 
was pretty good, honestly. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm quite happy with it as it is. I think it's it's in the state for me personally, and this is obviously just me, but I think it's in a state where if it stayed like this, I would be okay with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it could be better, maybe, but I would be happy if they redirected dev time to other stuff. Like, I'm, sure, I'm sure. fine with it. I think inertia is fine. Like, I, I really think it's okay. I mean, other people disagree with me, but um, for, for me, I, I think there's other more pressing issues for them to deal with, honestly. I really do. Uh-huh. I really do. But um, yeah, it, it feels pretty good. I mean, have you guys collect? Because I know sometimes um, I see Dan Exit putting stuff out because he's the, the UK emissary, so I see his stuff more so than yeah, he's, he's the better he's looking, better. Yeah, he's the better looking, better accented uh, emissary of, of, of the group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I see him putting stuff out, but um, I mean, I guess you guys, like, how often do you guys go out, kind of polling for feedback and things on behalf of BSG? Is that um, an important data collection point for for them through yeah. you? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And they, that's that's one of the cool things to see is how much they'll do things kind of behind the scenes to help get feedback and get, you know, so people who are plugged in with their emissaries definitely try to keep them, you know, if you if you want to have, get your, have your feedback listened and heard to, be sure to, you know, be subscribed to them, see what's going on, how, how, follow their channels and stuff. So when they do post a poll or post a, they really do mean that. They want to take that and they take it, compile it, and it literally goes, you know, over over the wires to the devs. And that, that's a cool thing. I mean, so... You, people may not see it as directly, but it does happen. You know, it is they're they're right there with them, so that, that's really cool. Yeah, it's one of those things. I, I do feel that BSG listens. I just think sometimes it takes them a while, but that's that's partly just game dev, right? It takes a while to get stuff in, and there's different priorities and and different prioritizations, and some stuff gets worked on first, and some stuff later, and then there's also about dev releases, and I oh, will just bundle it in with the next wipe, and all of this stuff. There's, there's so much more to it behind the scenes. I'm certain than you see from the front it's just it's just the way of things it's just the yeah, way. yeah yeah it really is um i think you you found it no sure okay this this white church right you, you found it okay yeah i mean i so i think the only thing that still bugs me is not necessarily i don't think it's related to inertia it's kind of what you were touching on earlier spectator was you take one step and it's like you can't like in, i'm glad you brought up cs because cs has like this um, very responsive acceleration and deacceleration, and you can. I mean, I talked about this before, but you can like press A and accelerate to full speed, and then also while holding A, still you can press hold in the opposite key, which would be D, and then deaccelerate to a stop, and you'll just be there. And if you let go of one or the other, you'll you'll go the opposite direction. Whereas Tarkov, if you try to hold two keys down, you'll just go. I think it's left, no matter what. Like you can't. You, it's called counter straight. Oh, yeah. You can't counter straight, and then that's like one issue that I'm pretty confident's not tied to inertia. It's just how the the keys interact with each other. I don't know what's going on there, but um, the other part is like you can't take those little tiny like you just want to make a tiny little adjustment. Like in CS:GO, you could just like just tap the key and you'll just like just barely you know move out, and you'll still have the inertia. Like it has to accelerate, but you're like you're. You're not full speed tapping out. You're just doing a little acceleration to the right. Right, right, right. Um, the only way to get around that for Tarkov for me is like I toggle my speed from like full speed to the small speed. And I just take a little oh. tiny little step, but it's kind of disadvantageous because I'm I don't necessarily want to be moving at that speed. You know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. I just want to move my character just a little bit. <laughs> I got a um an analog keyboard coming here and i don't know maybe september october and i don't know if it's going to play well with, with tarkov but the 
the software and how it all works is, you know, normal switches, you, you press them and there's an actuation point, whereas this is like the whole switch itself is a actuation point pressure. So like if you... Uh, like a piano? Like a piano kind of? Basically, basically. If you just press it, well, kind of, but if you just press it like softly, you'll just get like a very small actuation. So it's like not the full input of the key. There's, there's, I haven't looked into it too much. I just watched a couple of views like, okay, I'll try this out. I've been in the market for new keyboards since I spilled Monster Energy Drink all over mine. But anyways. Oh no. Um... <laughs> That being said, all in all, I mean, I kind of feel like the same as you said, Giga. Like, if they could not touch inertia, and I probably, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, let's, it's, it's in a pretty good spot to me. I mean, yeah, there's like circle strafing. There might be some other things they could tweak, but I really, I really just don't have any major, major issues. It's like in a pretty good spot for me. You guys both mentioned consistency. In my mind, that's what it comes down to the most for people who are, let's say, new yeah. to Tarkov, for example. There are so many weird edge case gimmicky things that vets know to do, right? Like if you're yes. a circle, if you give it a little bit of forward or back movement, you can cancel out whatever. I think that's the kind of stuff that, at least in my experience, kind of drives people crazy. Yeah. Like there's so much little one-off edge cases. I can't compete with the pros because I don't know all these little bitty exploits or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think go back to something like a Counter-Strike, that a system like that has, has smoothed over all those edge cases. You, you cannot gamify much there because we've caught it you know you, i yeah. know we saw people trying to do this we caught it here's you know again it's consistent and and repeatable all the time and if, that's, if there's anything i could say and I, i'm sure we'll see that going forward as the game winds up for version one is again these all those rough edges get get, get smoothed over and really really refined towards okay this is it you know no more no more weird glitchy stuff that the, that the people in the know can, can take advantage of you know yeah it's, it's such it's such a funny thing because in some ways, I, in some ways, I feel that BSG's and Nikita's vision about the way that they want the game to be is so, is almost their kind of like worst enemy, you know. Because I know that on the last podcast, Nikita was talking about animations and about fixing animations of like foot positioning on like ledges and stuff, and just like, oh, does anybody really care? Because because in in CS, right? Yeah, no, just <laughs> because. <laughs> The maps in Tarkov, are, and this is a problem again with the, this, we talked about this before with AI too, is that um, I was talking in my chat about it the other day on stream about how the, the maps are complicated. It makes the AI complicated because the AI has to interact with a complicated map. You know, if you've just got a square with one <laughs> building on it, making AI that works passively on it is really not that difficult. Whereas Tarkov's mm. AI is hard. And in Veritas's conversation with Nikita one on one that they did about AI, he mentioned about how well you can have scavs stuck between two points and they can end up just running back and forth between two points. And he was like, yes, sometimes scavs get caught in these loops because the environment's complex. And yeah. there's a, you know, I guess it's a, you would call it a, a bug, I suppose. But, you know, if, if you didn't have all of that environment and terrain on the floor, like most FPSs don't, you look at something like CSGO, the maps aren't that complicated in comparison to Tarkov, really. And I, I don't know how they deal with the animations, to be honest. But when you move in CS, you feel like a, an, an orb floating you know like your yeah. viewpoint doesn't have the kind of head bobbing or the movement and we've actually added more of that as time's gone in talk of you know now you run you have the gun with different lengths and you can you know the, your shoulders are swinging and it feels you actually feel quite involved with your character whereas when i was playing cs the other day i felt quite disassociated with my character actually mm. because i felt much more like a physics object yeah. in the game as opposed to like an actual person with a body um and in some ways that's that it makes tarkov harder to 
make work because because yes it's a competitive game and the maps are slightly more simple and it's not intended to be a realistic experience it's a competitive experience and it's a, it's a different thing which is i don't know it's it's hard it's, it's it makes it harder in some ways to try and square that circle you know it's uh the cs mm-hmm. thing is weird it's like yeah it's super smooth or whatever but as i said i feel like a from my perspective of the player i feel like an orb just moving wow. and it's and an orb just accelerating and then and then decelerating and all whereas in Tarkov it's like yeah I'm, I'm a real person with a real body that slides to a stop if you let go of the keyboard and all of that kind of stuff so it's uh-huh. it's complicated it's complicated it is complicated there's an interesting thing I did I did some uh, like sim racing and they talk about they talk call it uh, like lock to horizon and it's the same thing with what our with how our minds interpret movement if we're walking you know we even if we have a jostle our brains stabilize. Our, our, our image to our, in our, our head. We don't see it like we're grafted to some rocky, rocky thing, right? It feels smooth. And again, that's kind of one of the things I can draw. Again, I have fun pushing back on the realistic realism crowd. But that is head-bop realistic. Okay, yeah, but perceptually, not really. We don't, it, our brains mute that stuff. So there could be, again, a counter-argument to say, actually, it could be just as realistic to have it be smooth in that way. Okay, it gets just not to start a debate, but it's just an interesting way if you take and kind of spin it and think about it a different way. There's lots of yeah. cool, you know, the art, not a, not a science, right? Exactly. And this is, again, this is the, the entire basis of the immersion versus realism um, <laughs> argument, right? And I think most sensible people would argue for immersion, which is you get people as involved in the game as possible and if the head bob takes you out of the game because you're not actually there you're looking at a two-dimensional representation of a game dev landscape through a monitor while you're sat with a keyboard and mouse in hand then arguably that was a bad thing for the game because it's not immersive necessarily it's the, it may be realistic but realistic from the point of view of your character but you know there's a separation there's a difference like i've had long conversations with people about optics as well and i, I know Again, I, I keep referencing Tower, but he's you know he's such a beast of this stuff about how you represent red dots and things on on a two D monitor, and it's just it's very really hard because in real life you're looking through. It's but when things get really close to your face, unless you're playing yeah. in VR, there's no there is no way to simulate this stuff properly with a two D screen. There just isn't. It's just you just cannot represent it. There's not enough information without going transparent. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. The transparent is a halfway house. It doesn't really represent the the right, the right, right. full situation. It's Again, it's another interpretation of the way that things. Well, it's a, it's another way of representing those things on screen, which is a you know sort of a simulation of what it might be like in real life. But you either go, you know, you go fully opaque and as if you're looking through it with one eye, or you go partly transparent, but then it kind of looks kind of crappy because, as you were saying, your brain ignores the the. If you're looking through only with one eye, your brain ignores the frame of the scope or the optic, and that's why in Tarkov, at least plenty of optics that are wonderful in real life end up actually being really crappy in the game because people are like, well, I'm really focused on how thick the frame is around the outside. Well, in, in real life, your brain doesn't even see that. Um, and so in Tarkov, people really focus on the ones with thin frames. In real life, those things are just really flimsy and, and, um, and not very good and not very well made. So it's, it's, a very, it's a difficult one. It's, it's so complicated trying to do this stuff. Like, I remember having a, a complete epiphany when I actually first started using VR because actually I have, like, I have one of the Oculus, the, the CV1 units, which um, I, I mean, it's a long time ago now, actually, years ago at this point. But just playing games in that environment was insane because you can, it's really, as soon as you bring stuff up close to your face, having those two different pictures to allow your brain to like, put the image back together again is like a phenomenal experience. And it just, once you've, once you've done that and experienced that, going back to the 2D screen, and reading some of the posts about the different 
methods of trying to simulate that, you realize why it's basically impossible. You have to give up something, whichever way you do it, you give up something mm-hmm. in order to try and do that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, and it's pretty hard. And it explains, yes, again, some of the choices as to why optics that are really good in real life then end up not being very good in the game. And it's it's hard to make that balance difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Here's the the yeah. supernova brain. You know what what Spectator said about having the uh, the head bobbing. It's like not really realistic because your brain actually does does the work in the game, right? You know the game head bobbing. Where real life you don't the the the, the supernova brain is like it is realistic because now your brain has to take the unrealistic thing and then relearn that to to get used to the head bobbing till your eyes adapt and your mind picture and then you don't see anymore. <laughs> A little sarcasm there, of course, but yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. One thing that I would love to discuss, I guess, again mm-hmm. is, and I think we've we've touched on this previously. We haven't talked about it for a while. Is the recoil system? Um, I guess to start with, I'd be interested to hear what you think about the recoil system now, because I know that the the original twelve twelve change was quite controversial, um, and there's still a lot of balancing left but um yeah i don't know i mean what, what do you think what do you think about recall system right now like what what are your thoughts do you think you think it's good do you think it's bad and um, what what changes would you make i guess yeah with that uh one of the one of the big ones that it's one of those things where once you see it you can't unsee it right and it was a thing that i called the flip and i think it was another maybe six months eight months i forget when it came out uh, and i started noticing that uh, like how tarkov handles recoil in the game is very is different from every other first-person shooter, and it has to do with kind of where, if you picture, again, the video does it better than I could do here, but it's like the point of rotation, what actually happens with the firearm, right? So, the uh, example, you know, if you, if, you have a, if you have a weapon shouldered and it, everything just goes, the bolt carrier, all this kind of stuff goes straight back. There's some flip, maybe mechanically, depending on the, the height differences, where the grip is, all this kind of stuff. You can get really technical in that way, but forget that. Just, just in a raw sense, it's straight back, right? And what happens is when the body takes that, what the body does with that is what causes the barrel to go offline. It's how that's how the spine takes takes it, and what it what what the body's response to it. Because if you were to take any of these rifles and you see them with even these testings that these companies do, you put it on a rail system or something, or up against a thing, and it shoots. It's not flipping. There's not there's no physical thing that's going to make the weapon actually flip at the grip where the where the person's holding it. There's not that's not a thing, right? It's just straight back like a sewing machine. And what's interesting is I noticed this with the, with the Glock, because it's one of the tests I did, with the Glock 18C. You put a stock on that thing, sweet, here we go. And you shoot it, right, full auto, and it just poof, goes, just rockets up straight to the straight to the ceiling, and it then kind of sort of starts coming back down. And that's when I realized, whoa, 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 wait a second. I never saw this before. What is going on with the stock? If I have a stock and it's here helping keep this thing stable, if this thing flips up, that means this stock is no longer on my shoulder. It had to have slipped down, and it's, mm. that's not my, my character's not using it, right? So, and that's one of those things where once I saw that, and now that I've seen it and seen it again and watch playbacks of myself, other people I play with and stuff, and you realize that, man, that's it. That is something that, ah, I can't unsee it. And you, and I noticed that it's, again, go realistic, not realistic. It's just, it doesn't happen in real life. It does not happen. To that extent, it doesn't happen where it rotates at the handle. And if you watch the video, you can go to my channel to see it. But this idea of there's also something true about it, though, okay? Because in, when you're shooting full auto in real life, there is a real thing, depending on the caliber you're shooting and stuff, depending on how ready you are with your form. 
with your posture being aggressively forward. Again, think of a, like a lineman getting ready to take it, take a block or something, right? Same thing. You got to get ready for this. And then it goes, if you're ready to go posturally, even still, if it's a heavier caliber, you will still have, again, like I was just saying, your body will hit it uh, uh, and it will have a little bit of a come up and then you'll come back down on it. Just physiologically with your central nervous system, how it has a little bit of a delay, right? It's there. And you'll see that. It's one of the videos I did too. You see it with professional shooters even. Even, even guys who shoot a whole lot. If you look closely, frame by frame, those first initial shots, there is. Their body has to respond to some way, right? So in some way, that is mechanically, they call it a keyhole effect. The tendency is to come up, it keyholes up there, and then the person pulls it back down. That is a real-life thing, but not to the extent that we see it in Tarkov. And especially not with the lower frame calibers, right? Smaller frame weapons, low caliber stuff. An MP5 is not going to do that. I've shot those. I've shot even full auto with those. They do not do that. No way in a million years. You can give it to your grandma. Go, grandma. <laughs> it's not going to do that with her, right? It's not going to happen, right? So, but I understand, too, go back to just other games. I, I imagine it like, uh, you know, uh, what was the good old clunky Team Fortress 2, mm-hmm. okay? So let's go talk about game design, right? You've got their big old heavy machine gunner, right, who has a huge Gatling gun type thing. Well, how did, how did they balance that out? They balance it out where you hold down the, the button to shoot. It has a spool-up time, right? And then the bullets come out, but and I, I haven't played in a long time. But the idea was they start off big, and then as you hold it down, they shrink back down, right? Again, to encourage the heavy, heavy gunners to be a guy who goes in and just holds it down and just wipes the floor, right? He's not a precision dude. He's just a mop the floor, just hold it down, spray it, spray everything, right? And that game design encourages that behavior because you can't just burst it. There's no way you can burst that gun, right? And in the same type of way, if you think like, again, design aspects, if we see Tarkov as having a point where the player is inaccurate initially and then becomes accurate, right? That breathing aspect of the, you can see maybe from a game design standpoint, maybe, but again, you see other games that do it, whether it's an Apex, whether it's a CSGO or something, that's not how they work. If anything, they work the opposite. They start you yeah. tight, and then they'll bloom out to punish you f- holding full auto, right? So we want to encourage little bit tight bursts, and if you want a full auto, you'll be penalized for it to hold it down, right? We kind of see the opposite in Tarkov. It starts off up into the sky, like I was saying. The character gets it back going down, right? And then it kind of, everything kind of starts compensating a little bit tighter. It's a little goofy thing to play with. So I guess my encouragement would be, from a game design standpoint, what type of behaviors do they want the players to, to do? Mm-hmm. Right now, it's goofy. The meta players will do this. I'll bring a 60-drum mag, right? I will start pre-autoing to get off of that initial curve, right? The initial bump. And then that way, when I round that corner, I'm already in my tight zone, right? Yeah. We're talking about consistency and player expectation. That's one of the things, where, again, those edge cases, right? A new player will say, what the heck? Why am I losing to every gunfight? Did you not know that there is <laughs> this wonderful, you know, why the heck would I know that, right? No, yeah. why would, you know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. There's no concept of someone to, to know that innately, you know? Uh, so long, long, long story short would be, I like the mechanics behind, the, behind what they're doing. And I have a detailed thing there. And again, I'm not, I'm not a coder on their front, but that point of rotation is a big one. If, if they take that point of rotation and scoot it back to where it's more in line with the point of contact with the shoulder, that, would, that could do a lot of things to help bring it to where not only visually does it look more consistent because you're not going to lose the sight. In Tarkov, you, you, even single tapping, you'll see your sight bounce so much because it's flipping, you'll actually lose your red dot. And it's like, what the heck? 
That does not happen in real life. No way. You're not losing that red dot. It stays, it stays there. You're tapping, tapping, tapping. And that's one of the ways they can achieve that while still operating within their same kind of uh, whatever the mechanics that they have going for the game. Because again, the positive thing I would say is I love, there's an aspect of Tarkov's recoil that I think is amazing, where the gun really does feel like an alive thing. It feels like this kind of this, this badger that the, the character really is separate from him that you're trying to manhandle. It's not as precise as you, you can't control every single jot and tittle. It's like, hey, hold on. You're going to ride the lightning. Good luck type thing, right? And there's, there's a certain aspect of that quality to that that is really cool. That I think, again, if they can refine it and maintain that kind of a, I don't know, like you said, you mentioned physics with the movement. It's kind of, that's how I feel with Tarkov. There's a certain physical quality with weapon manipulations and how they interact with the player that feels with all of its faults and good pros and cons, it does feel very separate from the player and it feels very alive in that way. And I think that's a really cool thing. You know, they just got to refine it more if they want to, right? If they want to. I think that's probably the most frustrating for me thing is when I first started playing, I remember going to factory because that was the map that I was told to learn. Um, and I'd had like my AK 74 SU or my uh, Keter and I'd, and it was just like you try to go for these precision shots and you shoot once. And if you don't, you know, I'm new. So I'm nine times in, I'm not going to kill him. But I'm, I'm thinking based off the marketing, based off everything I've seen about the video, you know, like this, I'm playing tactical, I'm playing slow, I'm trying to get these precision shots, but I lose my sight picture, or, you know, because that, that whole flip thing is happening. And, and then, then as you play more and more and you start, you know, getting better and gearing up, get a better gear, eventually, and this was back in the old recoil days, you know, you'd, get the 60 round PMAG on your M4 that's fully tricked out and you just learn, oh yeah, if you just hold the button down and have all these mods slapped on there, they'll die. Right. You know, it's just like, it just became a holding down mouse one game. And I think that's kind of the frustrating thing is like, I've always felt that there's been gaps in terms of like this precision or burst firing um, because how the system seems to work, behave is that the longer you fire, you sort of reach that apex point and then you reach that sort of like keyhole or like that bottom of the keyhole and it's just like all the bullets are dead on you know at that point and it's really incentivizes that play whereas like again kind of jumping back what we said earlier it's like your expectations coming into the game you think it's a tactical realistic shooter and maybe it it does kind of play into that but i would just feel like you would want to also encourage people to take precision shots at certain distances you know obviously up close you want a full auto but most of the time um, I don't know. That's always been like a point for me. It's just like, you know, why hasn't this been like addressed? And I feel like they've tried to address it, but like the latest patch was just like, or what? What is it? Twelve? Was it twelve? Twelve? I think it was twelve. Twelve? Where they just yeah. like yeah, the twenty percent thing. Yeah, yeah. They just bumped the the recoil up, and I was like, okay, this didn't really change anything. You just kind of made like you just shifted the balance towards these other guns. You know, these guns are more attractive now, or like these guns need. You have to, you know, mod them out fully, but yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm glad that you picked up on the the flip point because um, that was kind of what I thought. That's kind of what I thought you would talk about actually, because it is so fundamental and it's a it's a a critical design and simulation aspect of the way that the guns should be represented, in my opinion, because they've got so many levers that they can pull to make the guns do different things. But as you were saying, there's only really one pivot point when you look at it and it makes sense for pistols, but it doesn't really make sense for much else. So if you have the Glock 18C on its own, it kind of looks all right and it feels the way that it should. Yeah. The recoil's out of control and that's fine. It's a full auto pistol or whatever. 
But if you put the stock on it, as you're saying, the pivot point should move back towards the shoulder. And there's lots of guns, as you're saying, you know, my beloved RFB, which whenever you fire with that thing, there's so many sights. And I think and it comes into eye relief and on the choice of optics with the community as well uh, uh, about the way that those work too. But you put something relatively cheap on the RFB and the scope will just you know black out every time that you fire because the thing's just twisting like this. Um, and the recoil is so high that you then can't see through your optic anymore to either track the target or it's hard to get the follow-up shots, whatever. So I, yeah. I do think that there are some extra things that they should add to... And it would also give flavour to the different guns as well. Um, and we've talked before here about the interplay between camera recoil and actual recoil, which is quite interesting. Like, there's one thing that I think a lot of people overlook about the SKS. It's seen broadly as a budget gun why would anybody ever run this thing and um, i was very much of the same opinion until i did some actual testing on it and it's surprising even with the budget scopes it doesn't have the same flip effect even at the same recoil points so the rfb i don't maybe it's just because it's very short or something it will do this do this flip thing and you get the horrible vignetting in the scope and it looks awful but the sks actually has very similar camera recoil to the weapon and even though the weapon flies up, you fly up with it. And so you can mm-hmm. still see through the optic. So at the bottom of the optic, you can actually still see who you were shooting at. And you don't get any of this weird blacking out or anything strange like that, which is interesting. And um, it seems very weapon by weapon as to whether it does or does not function in this or that way. Um, and I do think there should be some more nuance put in to prevent some of those problems. It's yeah. it's it's a funny one. Um, the the other the other thing that was I thought was interesting about what you were saying was, and we actually talk about this quite a lot on here is about what player behavior do you want, and that's really the important thing. And then you say, okay, well, how do I design a system to incentivize the player behavior that I want to? And I totally get the reason why it's like this, exactly as you said. Even with professional shooters, you don't you could. It's hard to let's say let's put it this way. It's hard to predict the recoil of a full auto weapon before you fire the full auto weapon, even if you're quite familiar with the full auto weapon. So you can lean into it, but you may lean in too much or too little or whatever. And you need to, once it actually kicks in, then you need to then you need to balance um, how much you're, you're pushing forwards with your body, right, to stabilize this recoil pattern. And so that's what the game's trying to simulate. But is that really good for the game? I'm, I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I, I don't think Nikita really wants to change it, but. Is it good for the game, having this particular And model? And I'll do this, Church. I'll, I'll do a little supernova brain moment here on this okay. too. Here's what gets interesting. I could, I could sit here, and what, despite what I just said, I could make a counter-argument. I could play the other side, put my devil's advocate hat, mm-hmm. and say, from a game design standpoint, if you are wanting to have a mechanic that limits the fire rate of a player, they've nailed it. It's pretty good, right? On an RFB, you are pulled off, you're pulled off your site, you're pulled off, it's really hard to hit that thing tight, tight, tight every time. And here's why that's important. Because Tarkov does, the, the bullet comes from the trajectory of the gun itself. The physical item of the gun, where it's going, is dictating where those bullets are going, okay? So what makes this interesting is other games don't have to have that constraint because they don't care where the gun's pointing. Like, uh, if you pull up a, the easiest one to see this, this is Valorant. They use a lot of tracers in their guns. You'll see the the visually the gun will do the same thing. The recoil is the same thing. But if you pay attention to where the where the spray pattern goes on the tracers, you'll see that the gun is always doing the same exact animation every time, every time, mm-hmm. every time. But because of the way the it's like it's like a I'm drawing a blank on what it's called. It's like a hit scan type thing. Yeah. They have it to where the bullets can just go randomly, right within a certain zone. The bullets are just randomly going places, right? right? Now, Tarkov can't do that. They can do a little bit with MOA, 
right? Which I think that is, again, that's a realistic thing. That mm-hmm. that's quality of rifles, quality of parts, a real thing in real life. So I'm glad they put that in there. But what that what that does, that realism side of it, makes it difficult for them to then play with shot position in a way that we're used to doing because. The only way the gun is going to be able to miss is where the gun is literally off target itself. So if you were to imagine, like picture a spray pattern on like a Valorant where just dots in these random things, top left, bottom right, all these weird patterns, right? What you would have to see in Tarkov is the gun model itself literally skipping around quickly to these different odd angles that do not follow visibly what a realistic recoil uh, whatever I call it, motion or does that make sense at all? Guns do not jump around like like right. like, like yeah, that yeah, in yeah. real life. They have a certain like momentum and heft to it that kind of guides them a certain way, right? So again, Tarkov can't make it the more traditional mm-hmm. uh, systems, even if they keep the bullet time and stuff, the travel and everything. They can't have it fire that way that we're used to seeing without a big overhaul of how they do lots of different things. Uh, so you imagine if you I have a if you picture have macros on their mouth their mice, you know, hold it down it'll 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 single click. That's what they added those rate limits, right? Mm-hmm. Because players could do that. I'm gonna bring out an M1A and just really <laughs> quick, right? Like 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 it's a, like it's a full auto on, on on steroids, right? Well, there are reasons in real life you can't do that, right? And other games would do that as if you take those shots, it will bloom out so big yeah. and you'll start missing in the random areas, right? So that's right. the disincentive. But again, Tarkov, if it's following the directory of the gun, it's really limited on how it can model that in the game sense. So that's, again, art science uh, thing of appreciating what's going on behind the scenes, kind of realizing what that means for the game, right? So here's kind of if my... that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. And I, I was basically thinking about this while you're talking about it. I was like, okay, well, you know, they why don't they just do a bloom system like you just described? And it's not realistic. It doesn't make sense with the system that they have in place. Like, honestly, the foundation that they have for how the guns work is very realistic. It makes a lot of sense, like, for the most part. Um, again, it comes back to the player behavior thing. So, like, how do you disincentivize full auto if that's, like, what you want to disincentivize? Or how do you incentivize precision shots or whatever the case may be and so bloom thing kind of the question it's not really a thing side topic it was like okay well what if you locked the camera recoil if you will or the camera to wherever the gun goes so if the gun goes all the way up in the sky your camera would also like you're just constantly fixed upon the iron the optic and i was like well that's gonna be like really jarring it's not really realistic i don't know that sounds like a bad idea so here's like kind of what I was thinking. All right, they keep the current how everything functions in place, right? But instead, I'm gonna jump add slap on another topic on here is weapon jams, right? I'm not a big fan of weapon jams in general, but that being aside, what I'm not what I don't like about them the most is currently how they function, where you don't what is it, ninety three percent you can't get a jam, I think. So if my gun gets like to ninety five percent, ninety six percent you know, I've already repaired a couple of times. Like I can't go above it. I will take it off, you know, sell it, vendor it, the receiver, buy a brand new one. I'll eat the cost, whatever it is. RIP my TX 15. Cause you can't get the receivers for cheap. So that that's a hefty cost, but it, it's, it's worth it because I don't want the mechanic promotes me to never get a jam as long as I stay within this threshold. So 
and I, and I kind of don't like that because I feel like it just you can completely circumvent the system. So what if instead, one of my critiques is like, I feel like one way to disincentivize people full autoing is if they're going, if you're going to make the choice to like spray down this guy with your PMAG or hunt around or whatever you got, as you continuously fire, again, instead of blooms heavy and that stuff, you're going to sort of have like an increasing odds of some type of malfunction, whether it's like a, a mag or a, a feed malfunction, a jam, a bolt jam, whatever the case may be. You know, your suppressor blows up in your face. I don't know, but that's kind of the idea is like, that way you're like, okay, I'm really risking it if I'm just going to keep full autoing. Whereas if you go for like maybe these more controlled bursts, more methodical with your shots, you know, you're not risking it as much as the extreme case where you're just full autoing downrange. What do you guys kind of think about that sort of artistic science approach? Okay, I mean, the, the first thing, I'll just jump in quickly mm-hmm. first, but I, I think the, the very first thing is I think that the VSG missed a trick by not making the magazines kind of have their own, like not making them exempt from the 93% thing. I think magazine, like if you're using a big mag, I don't think that should have any bearing on the weapon at all. I think the weapon itself should have the jams for itself for the 93% and that the magazines that you use should just contribute immediately. So overheating and mag jam feeds, I think should all be exempt from this 93 thing and they should be able to happen at any um at any durability because the incentivizes people to use 30s rather than 60s and the 60s jam more if you're on full auto like oh, that's just my that's my first thing so i i think i i don't i'm, I'm just not sure if i don't know and what I about ammo, agree with you, so ammo in there too or no and ammo, ammo, yeah quality? i think yeah. so i think so yeah so you're gonna throw ammo in there as well um so it's like what ammo are you using multiplied by whatever magazine you're using and and that can dictate the, the actual feed you know the, the feed jam or something i mean when we talked about this ages ago i kind of wanted every every part to have durability um which i thought would be kind of interesting because then you'd have suppressors would run down specifically if you fired through them a lot and they'd be expensive to replace i just like to be replacing bits of my gun more often rather than just yeah. transferring the whole thing over i think it would be, be kind of cool and stuff like you know charging handles wouldn't really need to be replaced very often they'd it very slowly degrade um mm-hmm. and you could even have stuff that was found in raid that had like better durability or whatever so it would give more variability and more i don't know i don't know so like if you find something that's got extra durability you think oh this is super cool it's like an you know, extra special part that's quite and just got sure, more durability sure. on it but um i don't know in terms in terms of the full altering thing it's it's tricky because it's so hard disincentivizing people with jams you know, and I know you started this conversation off by saying I don't like jams. It's so it's it's difficult being like, well, you can just either because the thing is, people are just people will just go for it and then they'll get a jam and cry, and it's it's very hard to balance that. It's like you either get a jam or you don't. I feel like it's so binary. It's almost not yeah. really the right way that I would like it to go. I don't, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Quickly, is you you you're talking about how you don't you know the parts affecting the durability and stuff. It, it reminded me of like. Well, you know how they added like heating and cooling stats, right? What if within this imaginary system that I conjured up, you could theoretically build a gun to fit your playstyle? So if you're like a running gun full auto guy, you could build a gun that's designed to have advanced cooling, you know, reduce heating. That way you sort of limit those chances. Um, whereas if you're a more, but there's cost to it, whatever that cost may be, I don't know, maybe it's recoil or ergo, whatever. Whereas if you're, you know, more of like a control methodical guy, you could you don't really have to focus on the cooling and heating stuff. You can go for more of the extreme precision long eighteen inch barrel type stuff. 
Yeah. And that, okay. And that, that, that introduces a, so that's a good point too, because it introduces kind of this weird, uh, let's say class bending thing mm-hmm. that Tarkov's weapon modding allows, right? Yeah. Which is, which again, it's very unique. I know we saw a rise of this with, with BR shooters first coming out where you can start tricking it out. And what are the pros and cons and nerfs and buffs that happen when I add on certain things, right? That's a relative, let's say relatively new in gaming age compared to like a Counter-Strike, right? Remember yeah. back in the day in college, man, Thyrog and USP <laughs> suppressed. That was my jam, right? Because I knew it. I was, I knew, I knew how it worked. A man, toe to toe, I know how to play that gun. I'm going to get you, right? Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is with Tarkov is with these modifications, whether again, whether they're saying we want we want outsized recoil at the beginning to encourage people to mod out their weapons, right? That that's one thing from, sure. a, from a, like a progression standpoint. The other thing is too is it also allows again the class bending thing. I can take let's just whatever whatever nine millimeter submachine gun, let's say nine mil caps out. But when, man, once I start adding in special ammo, ooh, now I got ammo it lets me have a bit more punch. Uh-huh. Ah, you see how it takes whatever whatever power range you're at. It lets you kind of scoot things over, kind yeah. of butting up into other different things. Where whereas other games, I mean, like like a like a like a set in stone Counter Strike. There's your M4. There's your this. From a design standpoint, they can tailor those very very tightly because they know these are the thresholds we're playing with. We've got it covered, right? Those are the tools of the trade. Whereas with Target, it's like here's your tools of the trade. Oh, but if you add these combos and these combos and these combos, you start having these weapons that can slide into these very different spaces than what they initially started mm-hmm. out on. So you think from a game design standpoint, how the heck do you balance for that, right? That is astronomically difficult, yeah. especially when you start getting like mid-wipe, late-wipe, flea market, anything, I don't care, money, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. It's no longer an issue. So you get these weird things where it's like, okay, if you want to have some of those nuts and bolts in the game, what other things can you start introducing to, again, encourage player behaviors, player play styles, decisions, right? That makes sense to the player. Because I guarantee you, first time I played with someone and they experienced a jam, they were like, what the heck just happened? The game, again, not, not the badmouth BSG, but that's some players to be, gosh, dang it, the game broke again. They blamed the game, <laughs> right? I was clicking, nothing happened, right? It's like, whoa, 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 jamming is a thing now. Oh, oh, I didn't know. Okay. Silly me, I thought I thought there's an input problem, right? With mm-hmm. the Which that's a new thing. There's a lot of gamers who are not not used to what do weapons do in real life. Mm-hmm. I think it's really neat to Tarkov's credit that they're introducing players to hey, here's some stuff. He kind of like you're saying, Church. Yeah, big weapons, they're great. I guarantee you, this drum mag is going to jam at least once or twice out in the field. It's going to happen. That's why people don't use these things yeah. in real life, right? Letting people understand that and have kind of that relationship to uh, different parts and pieces is really cool. Really cool, right? Um, so, no, it goes back to, again, consistency and expectations and also information. For people who don't know this stuff, how do you introduce them to it? How do you let them understand these, ah, okay, maybe it's something to do with how they present information to the player, not these little hover over things so you get more info, but maybe you make it to where it's more clearly stated. In the weapon fly weapon modding flyout screen, and your how you're equipping your guy, where do stats show? Where to, yeah, to let yeah. players see? Ah, now because I guarantee you, once I explained to certain players what's going on behind the scenes a bit, they liked it. They were like, "Oh, not only does it make sense a little bit, but they're like, oh, okay, okay.' You know, I might not I might not agree with everything, but at least I can see what they're going for. And ooh, that's kind of cool. 
let's see where this journey takes us. As Tarkov, as as the devs start bringing in more features and more whatever, this could be a really unique kind of thing that Tarkov introduces that no other game can touch, right? So, yeah. It's it's very cool. I, I do feel that maybe BSG are slowly moving towards the maybe we will let people know what's going on kind of thing. So they introduce the heating and cooling and all the stats are visible in the in the yeah. game. And you've got um, what else is there? There's like the, the magazines. They actually say on them what they do is whether it's low chance or medium chance, high chance, very high chance of jams. Like it doesn't say exactly what, but it's at yeah. least it's there. So I hope so because in the the age of you know, people are going to find out stuff, right? And people are either going to do testing to find out or whatever. So the, the fanciful idea that they have about people passing things around word of mouth was great when there was about 500 players. But now that you know, yeah. it's a top 30 game on Twitch or whatever, that it's just yeah, yeah. people are people are you know figuring out the way that these things work, and they'll they'll find out one way or another. So I, I feel that the age of more information is probably better, especially for this, and especially if they want more new people to come in. And for me personally speaking. I've learned way more about firearms playing EFT than I have done any other game. I had no idea that um, I did. Let's put it this way, right? So I'm definitely in the shroud camp, not knowing that 545 was even a caliber, right? It's just like, oh, AK, so it just fits 762 by 39. That's just, that's the AK caliber, right? And I get into the game and I'm just like, what is this funny rifle round? Like, what is this thing? Just like, oh, oh, they use this all the time over there. Okay, fine. Like, no idea. Literally no idea. I'm like really not, a, not an IRL gun guy. So learned so much more about that from, um, from EFT. But um in terms of the actual game's mechanics, one thing that I really, really would love them to do, and I do think that they could, they should, and in the same way as we're saying about like pivot points with guns, I think there's a few intricate things they should do about weapon mechanics, in my opinion, that would make the game more interesting. And one thing mm. that I think would be awesome would be to separate out vertical and horizontal recoil, because right now yes. it's kind of inbuilt to the gun in one sense, and then also they're intrinsically tied together. So as vertical goes down, horizontal goes down. I wish that they'd split those stats out and some grips would give you vertical, some would give you more horizontal, and maybe you'd have to balance the two. Um, it would make more sense, I think, to do it in that way. And it would also yeah. give a variety of builds. Some people would prefer to lower the vertical. Some people would prefer to lower mm-hmm. horizontal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do think that there's kind of a skill element there too, because it was, it was interesting because I was just, just doing and put out a video about the, the RD um, 704 which is a, an interesting new weapon because by all accounts, the vertical recoil, like it's, it's a great gun, but by all accounts, the vertical recoil is inferior to the mutant in many ways. You know, I tested it out with sort of similar builds and the mutant with a higher rate of fire and with a higher vertical recoil, it still has a lower actual recoil in game just because of the way that the, um, the way that the, the weapon is handled in, in the, the stats on BSG's side, which is fine, but it has a much lower horizontal. And so then the argument becomes, well, are you a skilled enough player to control that vertical recoil? If you are, you probably would take the lower horizontal because horizontal is notoriously difficult to control because it's random in either direction. Whereas with the vertical recoil, we know what the pattern's going to look like. Yes, it randomizes a little bit. So, you know, it's going to go up. Maybe it goes there. Maybe it goes here. The next shot, maybe Mm. it goes there. Maybe it goes here. The next one is going to be about Mm. the same. Mm. Then it'll come down again. Mm. But you broadly Mm. know what that pattern's going to be and you can pull down to adjust for that. The Mm. horizontal Mm. is the thing that you can't adjust for. So... But a less skilled player may be like, well, I just need lower vertical because it's a heavy mm-hmm. caliber and I don't have enough um, money to spend all, all the money on all the mods and stuff. So right, I need right. to go for the mutant style because I just need, I just need less vertical recoil because I'm just not killing anybody. It's, mm-hmm. That's more mm-hmm. of an interesting choice, I think, than they're just the linear scaling of 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, which is what we have right now. Right, and right, split right. those things up. I think that would be cool. Yeah, which which the good news on that front is we have heard Nikita play lip service that to that in the past with other podcasts and stuff talking about how they do want to have a directionality to certain components, have certain muzzle brakes push the gun in different directions, not just a standard reducing on one just one mm-hmm. direction like you're saying. So 
So again, it's kind of yeah. one of those things where it's like, man, you wish it was faster. Come on. But yeah. I think, I think it's all that there's a lot of stuff I think they're aware of. It's just, we got to just be patient and kind of keep it fresh in their mind, right? Hey guys, you said you would, we still want to try that out. We still want to test it to see if it works, you know, mm-hmm. because I think you're right. That would be great to add that variability of kind of customizing to a certain play style or ability or just preference. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because it's intriguing. Like flipping back to the SKS example, the SKS yeah. actually has really tight horizontal recoil, which makes it really nice. Because lots of people talk about, oh, the SKS versus VPO. Why would you ever use the SKS when the VPO exists or the AKM or whatever? But normally the VPO because it's so cheap and you can basically build the same thing with 7.62 PS early on. And the mm-hmm. mags for the SKS are 10K from Peacekeeper for some reason for the 20 rounders, um, whereas you can buy 30s for nothing for the, the VPO, like the 136. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, when you're firing at a slightly longer distance and somebody's running across an open field, having that lower horizontal actually really makes a quite a big difference. Because the VPO, when you're tracking and the gun's like jumping from the central yeah, point yeah. left and right, it's a real pain to get back on target. With the SKS, is so much more vertical. You can just track at a constant speed and just be going boink, 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 and just place those <laughs> shots so much more easily on people. It's so much better because I used it for a mm. bit. I, I can't even remember whether, I think it was the end of, Maybe it was sort of middle to end of the previous wipe or the one before. I actually don't remember. I think it was the last wipe. Um, and I used the SKS a bunch, like in the late game with BP. It was great, honestly. And that's where I found mm-hmm. out the fact that the camera recoil follows the weapon. And it means that you keep sight picture. And I was like, man, this might, mm-hmm. I might even be changing away from the RFB here. This is insane. Um, like low horizontal recoil. I can see my enemy after I fire the shot. There's no blacking out of the scope or anything. Like this is kind of cool. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think like some of these features are maybe i don't know um underrepresented within people like i think it's also because it doesn't show it in the stats and so people don't necessarily know so they never try it and they go oh this is rubbish because xyz right like i did a, a video about the the new the new rig and somebody just commented just like oh well it's ceramic so it's trash i'm just like well you clearly didn't watch the video because you know <laughs> you've just got this preconceived notion that all ceramic armors are trash and therefore you won't use it it's like well fine that's, that's fine but i think there's a, a, a decent number of the player base community that have these preconceived notions about things and, and to be honest we all do to some extent but yeah. to try yeah. and to try and always sort of question our own knowledge is the way that we expand our minds you know and open our <laughs> open ourselves up to new new possibilities and new experiences and, and allow yourself to be wrong about things you know it's um yeah sure, it's sure. fine it's fine to be wrong and to try stuff out and have somebody tell you something different but uh yeah it, it'd be cool to have more of those variabilities i think but parameterized in a way that is actually sort of usable by the player um mm-hmm. less hidden stuff more more visible stuff i'm a, I'm a yeah. big fan of visible things <laughs> yeah and even quality of life i saw a post i think it was earlier this week uh guy on reddit not understanding that positive recoil was a bad thing he thought oh, i'm making it bigger it's better right and the people are like no no you want it to be low but even like that i could see where someone who's not familiar with how that stuff plays out that would be an honest thing to think maybe you know so again, how do you represent that kind of stuff to the player? Is it a graph? Is it a chart? Is it some type of a, to where they know, does positive this mean good or negative this mean good? You know, uh, get the consistency there. And then show it to the player. Like I'm saying, show it. Let them see it firsthand. Ah, cool. That helps them appreciate the game better and enjoy it better in turn, you know? Ah, this yeah. RK2 grip, it's got an, in red a negative 3%. Ah, this can't be any good for a recoil. I don't want this. <laughs> this, the red shoes make me run faster. Yes. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, I'm hoping that some of these things come with 1.0, with the tutorial, with the mm-hmm. story, with, you know, intelligent game design bringing in 
elements as people progress through the game for the very first time because we will see a massive influx of new players and i think the new player experience we've talked about it many times how it really does need to be improved for the released version of the game which which is fine that it's you know that is as it is at the moment because people get bought into tarkov and they learn from youtube and this kind of thing but it really should be a standalone product right now tarkov isn't a standalone product and it requires the wiki it requires the ballistics page it requires you know, videos for people like me to actually understand what's going on. And half the time, I learn something when I make a video about a topic because it's only when you go through it in excruciating detail that mm. you go, oh, actually, yeah, this is this is how this, this thing functions. Like, I learn probably one thing at least every time I make any video on any topic because otherwise you just skim over and you don't necessarily appreciate the full the full thing unless you're, you know, trying to produce a... And I'm sure you've felt the same with some of the writing that you've done. When you're producing a piece of work that will be read by, you know, or, or watched by potentially t- thousands of people, if you're wrong about something, people will let you know very quickly. They'll find it. That's um, right. That's right. They, they will find it. You know, it's like you're doing your own beta test. You know, you put out this piece of content and if there's any flaws in your logic whatsoever or any calculations or you've made a typo, heaven forbid, because someone will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. No, I don't know. I just think the new player experience needs to be worked on definitely for 1.0. And uh, I hope that that comes with the storyline. And we talked a little bit about this last week in that it's interesting that Nikita is saying that his main priority now is on the storyline quests, on on the main story for the game and this kind of thing. And he comes to the Tarkov TV saying, look, well, here's the stuff we're working on right now. But I can't tell you, you know, most of what I'm working on because it's it's all for the, the storyline and for the main strand of, of storytelling that they're going to do for the for the game itself, which... I mean that's promising. I, I mean that's that's cool. I, I like it. But um, yeah, when do you think the information? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask you. When do you think? When do you think they're going to release the game? Like, if you're just going to guess. Oh, I am. I am not a guesser. I will not play that game. I would have okay. lost uh, five times in a row on that one. If I, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just. I'm just along for the ride. Uh, a very sensible approach. What do you think? Sorry, I cut you off. So, what were you going to say? Go ahead, spectator. Oh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, just about the onboarding of player player experiences too. That's what's interesting too. Is it becomes kind of like a Dark Souls experience, right? Where you've got mm-hmm. once you get over that hump yeah. of sticking with it and really biting into it, you realize that whoa, this is awesome. It's just can you keep players on enough to yeah. have that experience of that's the gameplay loop? Oh my gosh, I'm hooked, right? Because I know so many players that I've tried to bring in, they've bounced off of it. It's like, no, you gotta you gotta do it one more raid with me. You gotta do. It. And they're like, well, how many is it gonna take, man? I'm gonna if it's like midwife, whatever. They're just like, no, I'm just tired of getting wrecked all the time. It's not fun to me, right? But once you have someone who crests that wave, and then I just took out a juicy guy, or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they bring that stuff back. They realize, oh my, I'm shaking. I'm physically shaking, right? Exactly. No other game has made you do that, right? Never. I'm sweating. I remember all those funny comments we've all all heard from players. I'm freaking sweating. I need to take up and get a break. I'll be back in a little bit, right? And that's when Tarkov really sinks its teeth and you realize this is something very unique. And how do you get there while not dumbing it down? You know, that's going to be the interesting art, not a science thing a little bit. How do you, is it an information thing? Is it how you present stuff to the player? Is it a, you know, how do we, but I'm with you hundred percent. If they can get that to where it's like a well, well-oiled machine, it's going to go gangbusters even more. I mean, even more than it has already, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know it's a slightly controversial topic, but I am actually personally not opposed to um, some form of matchmaking within the first 
like five to ten levels. I don't know where you draw the line, but I actually kind of wouldn't mind. I think like if you're under level five, you only get matched with people who are new, some, something along those lines. And if the servers are empty, so be it. You know, it's fine. These people are like brand new at the game. Because um, some of the hardest things that you see people talking about when they're first getting into it is where are the extracts? How do I leave? Yeah. Scavs are yeah. super deadly and I die every time. You know, right. it's, it's it's that kind of thing. And um, I think people exploiting the early levels for you know for gain is really not not something that we're that bothered about and and to be fair they are putting they are putting you know things in in progress to make that easier for people you've got free healing from therapists now if you're under level five you get a care package every day when you first start and load up the game in a new wipe you get something from papor every day so a little bit like a bit of gear or whatever so i think that is a it's definitely a good good steps in the right direction for for that and it shows they're willing to try to help the new people but um i still think that there should be something to do with the extra i think honestly i think for the new player i think extract is one of the worst mechanics that we have in tarkov actually and it's very easy to forget when you played the game for so long but just like there is no map there's no way of knowing how to get out you basically have to look at the wiki or wander around in offline yeah. until you figure out where it is like i know that they want it to be a journey of exploration but dear god it's like it's basically it's practically impossible right for most people yeah yeah <laughs> Unless you go way old school, there was a time way old school, if you equipped a map and you launched in, you would get a chance mm. to see the map, you pick whatever spawn points you want, right, in like an order, and then yeah. you get to see, if I pick this, where are my extractions, potentially? Oh, really? You, you actually got to see it presented to you. That that was huge. I think even some of a mechanic they've already had in the game, work on that a little bit, we'll bring that in, because I'm with you. Let, let players, we're all better if we're not running around like chickens with their heads cut off, where we kind of, we've agreed to suit up and play this game together, let's we have a general awareness and knowledge together, it heightens experience for everybody. Because I, yeah. I remember back in the old school days, you're literally the edge of the map boundary, just walking, just to see when you get a little thing pop up. Oh, there it is. I found it. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a way, true. but is that, is, that, is that good? To see players uh, just wandering across map edges. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather them know where they need to go, in and out, whether it's dynamic extracts, whether it's something like that. Like they mentioned, a helicopter was being... Uh, and the community talked about it a little bit. I'm like, helicopter? Mm. Maybe. If I had a hel- what If I just go back to just lore wise, if I was picked up by a helicopter, why would I want it to take me to my hellhole of a. <laughs> yeah, take me <laughs> yeah. back to my bunker, please. Uh, that means no. No, if I'm in a helicopter, dude, fly me out of this Tarkov yeah. city. I've escaped already, you know? No, no, no. You don't get it. I want to stay in Tarkov. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's remain in Tarkov. It's not escape from remain. Tarkov. It's remain in Tarkov right. forever. I need to complete my hideout, dude. You don't understand. Yeah. yeah. I've got, I've got plenty of CPUs in there. Yeah. Have you seen the bathroom? I got to get back to the bathroom poster level three. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. I, I think there's a middle ground, right? I think there's a middle ground yeah. on this where you could, I don't know, give players a map or something. And then maybe if you want some extracts to be secret, then that's okay. You know, you have to swipe the card in the toilet and interchange and all this stuff. That's fun, right? And that's for people to discover, right? That's okay. And even like some of the shared extracts and stuff like that, that's fine. But at least give people, you know, you start on woods, show them where outskirts is. You start on customs, show them where crossroads is. You know, it's like give them, give them one, give, give them something. Yeah, 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 it's like, the, and they're the easy ones that people always take anyway. Um, so I, I feel like giving people the ability to get to a single extract, which is the easy extract, you know, factories point. gate three, blah 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 blah. Like interchange only has two extracts really. So you just show them the yeah. Amagobble Railway. You know, this is like give them give them the the basics, and then yeah, you can have people stumble upon, and maybe maybe labs you don't get anything right because it's the, uh-huh, the uh-huh. special map or whatever. Yeah, but um, for some of the basic maps, I do think that there should be some more stuff done for them. But sure. I'm sure all of this is in the pipeline and working. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, and there's a good line between. Yeah. 
And you mentioned progression. That makes me think of like you church. You said you played like RPGs and stuff like Starcraft, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Well, if you think of the design from those, the game goes with you. Yeah. 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 As you get better, your challenges get harder. If you were to go like late game units and builds and stuff and go back to square one, you just dominate, right? It make no sense to play that mission again, right? Because you're just way overpowered for that mm-hmm. task. And what's interesting here is with Tarkov, I don't, and again, I, I, there's games I haven't played, but I've played a whole bunch. That's a thing that, again, a new thing that Tarkov's playing with in my mind. It does not lead the player on and gate off uh, areas that they've, like I, I, it was a big Baldur's Gate dude when I was younger, right? Loved that progression. But same thing, I wouldn't take a late game character and go punk on the earlier part of the game. It just wouldn't be fun, right? I mean, it, I'd just be, they well, couldn't even touch me, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe for, for giggles, right? But you, but you have, again, from a game design standpoint, this free fluid flow mm-hmm. of you can go and punk on people that are 18,000 levels below you that never stand a chance unless they get super lucky with the head eyes, right? Or something like this, right? Yeah. There's always these one-off chances you could lose. But again, so from a game design standpoint, how do you, I don't know what the word is, smooth that out? How to get that, how to get that to jive? Especially if the game moves into something where it's wipeless character plus a wiped character. How does that, you know, I, I think that could be something fun. I think I think too many people maybe rag on BSG. Come on, fix it. It's like, no, th- again, go back to old school. This is the journey we're taking with them. It's going to take a while to build these things out, but they're wanting to push the boundary. They're wanting to push the envelope, right? So how can we help them get there, right? Yeah. I'm so glad you you brought up this topic because I think a great example of this where the game is not holding your hands, but you still have that freedom of player choice, and yet also the progression sort of surrounds you with your fellow progressors in your journey, if you will, is Rust. And you spawn naked on the beach. You know, you got a big map, big island, and there's all these different locations you know, you got like the tier one area. It's like the grassy greenery area. It's got all these tier one locations, some tier two mixed in. And then you go up to the, the snowy side. It's like tier two, tier three, the desert side, tier two, two, three. But that's all the way up, you know, north to east and northwest. You know, you're you're at the beach naked. You know, you're just getting started. So you're, you're as like a, you know, highly progressed player. You're not really interested in the beach that much, right? Because there's just tier one locations around. You know, you, you're already at tier three. So you don't really want to like hang out in this area. I mean, perhaps you do because maybe you don't want a lot of competition, you know, maybe you want to do some bullying or whatever the case may be, (laughs) but it's not so like rigid, like, Oh, you're, you know, tier one, you can only interact with other tier one players. You know what I mean? And I I kind of wonder if perhaps when they do storyline quests, if it's going to sort of incentivize that or like help smooth that over a bit where it's like, okay, you're just starting out. You can't do any of these other stuff. You have to, go through here and here the people that have already done all that stuff they're already on streets or whatever labs or whatever the map is because the tier one areas or you know the the first areas there's not really anything for them to do there you know if you kill a little player you just get their crappy gear i mean i guess you could say the same's true now but it is kind of like funny how you get some of these like hey i got a daily let's see what it is kill six pmcs and a stomach or thorax guess i'm going customs you know what i mean it's just kind of like it's it's kind of messed up in my opinion but that's something that i wonder how storyline will sort of play into that progression and maybe help smooth out that that sort of like odd 
thing is like where you know do it it's like i i i like customs but i also don't like customs because it's like such a mixed bag of what type of players am i get i'm gonna feel kind of bad if i just kill someone who's doing their pocket watch quest you know what i mean but sure sure and i think too i think it like again i think it like Tarkov is a game with lots of exceptions Mm-hmm. In the sense of like, let's say, let's say you, let's say you have a new player. We get this sometimes in our group, a new player comes on, Hey, I bought the game. And we're talking like mid to late block, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. We're wonderful. Yay. You <laughs> bought the game. Come do it with us. Right. But he really can't. Right. Mm-hmm. We're going to go night raids on lighthouse. fully decked. <laughs> let's go. And he's like, what, what are you talking? I can't, if I do that, I'm going to die. So I'm going to be done. Right. I can't. So then the the big old vets, okay, which we don't mind, right? Okay, we'll go play down. Let's go through the early quest stuff with right. you, right? And here's what gets interesting from, again, game design standpoint. Who has to do the mission? He does. Just him. Who has to get the pocket watch? No, just him. If if we all gear up with him for this mission and he dies, it's like, okay, well, crap. Okay, yeah. the, other, the other four of us on your team, why the heck are we here, right? Yeah. We don't have anything. <laughs> Let's just extract, man. Let's go. Yeah. So you get the player who got killed is feeling a little bit, oh, shoot, I'm sorry, guys. I'm letting you do stuff you don't really want to do. No, no, we do want to do it, kind of, sort of. We do like it, but let's do it again, right? And he dies again. You see what I mean? There's this like mm-hmm. this, like it's a horse race. And you have a guy who's way back. Yeah. In my mind, to smooth that out would be to have everybody else be able to contribute to a common shared goal, mm-hmm. right? Hey, if we go in as a group, if we have, depending on levels, maybe stash, uh, stash values or something. Hey, that's going to ratchet up. It's going to change certain little things about this mission to make it interesting for everyone to be invested. So if I suit up, I bring my good stuff. Hey, not only do I want to get that pocket watch, but it's going to be awesome because when we do, since we are higher level coming in with you, there's going to be the other mechanics that feed into this. It's going to be one hell of a raid, regardless if it's a bunch of Timmy's playing together or some bringing some big old, old hitman, you know, protection squad with them. It'll be neat and dynamic and cool, and it won't be this thing of if he dies, ah, who cares? We don't have anything to do. No, we do. We all have a mission when you do. Maybe we can get the wash. Maybe we can carry his body out. Maybe there's something we can do to make it this uh, Saving Private Ryan thing that happens. In order to succeed, there's something else we need to do to avoid maybe a certain, whatever, a certain negative thing that happens if we don't succeed with our mission. You know, again, to keep people invested. If that makes any sense, I think again, there's some cool things they can maybe play into. Yeah, that is a cool idea. I don't actually know how you do that, but it's, I, I like I like where you're going with that thought. But it's, I'm not immediately thinking of anything that fits like precisely into that. But I, I think I know exactly where you're going. I, I had a hmm. not identical but tangential thought a while back that we discussed um, previously, which was about how you could potentially have it's not really like events, but you could almost have three versions of the same map or something. And, you know, one would be, it was like, for one of a better word, easy, medium and hard difficulties on customs, right? And easy difficulty would be lower loop and there'd be no bosses and just regular scavs and medium difficulty maybe is a small chance of of one of the bosses or whatever. And then hard mode, like there'd be something specific happens or the boss is there much more frequently. Plus there's like a convoy of people going through whatever. And then because of that, it's sort of what Church was talking about before where, you don't know people can go and play whatever they want to play but the high tier players would feed themselves into the top of maps on their own and the low tier players would stay down in the bottom end it's a bit a little bit like segregating out the beach versus the high tier loot areas and to some extent tarkov kind of does this a little bit because you've got resort and you've got labs and you've got dorms and that kind of thing but i think why actually unfortunately one of the things that tarkov's fallen into sort of by accident is that the you know 
starter the the lumbridge of tarkov the runescape starter island of tarkov has ended up accidentally overlapping and being one of the best pvp maps just because the map's cool and it's like actually really unfortunate that customs is such a cool map because loads of people love playing it because it's a great yeah. map, right? It's not yeah. like tons of people hate Shoreline because it's just resort. And if you don't like playing in resort, the rest of the map is enormous and you never see anybody. Woods, again, mm. if you're not specifically doing sniping, and some people like Woods, and I'm, I'm, I quite like Woods, relatively speaking. Some people really hate it because it's just, again, it's huge and it's full of, you know, lots of trees and blah, blah, blah. And Interchange has its own problems. And so lots of people end up just congregating on customs because the map's really well made. The choke points are well designed. It's thin enough. There's enough action. Plenty of players, but it's not too big. It's nice and thin. There's lots of interesting terrain. But tons of people end up there. And it's like you've got Timmy doing his pocket watch at the same time as people going, you know, thermal M1A, trying to like the hunt for people doing uh, doing insomnia and stuff, especially now that people yeah, yeah, start yeah. a factory. Um, and I think that's actually an unfortunate and unintended consequence, actually, in some ways. Um, but I don't know. I feel like different... like giving people some scenarios to go into, even if you made it just a, a, a weekly event or whatever, where you've got a hard version of an individual map would be super cool. I think lots of people would play it. Maybe even just, uh, I don't know. I'm almost thinking now like you schedule it as some kind of event. So it happens at a particular time in the day. There's, there's only, there's only you know, a couple of those sessions that run and you sign up for the session. And then you join at the time the raid's going to start. And it's like an extra special version. You make sure that there's enough players to play it and you can get some like sick loot, but it's really, really hard. And there's, random things that you can't prepare for that they i guess like because I, I think another i'm sort of straying off topic a little bit while i'm just rambling and brainstorming here but the some of the issues again with tarkov is that you can prepare for pretty much everything that like you know exactly mm-hmm. how the quests are going down and once you've completed one quest once and i know again it'll it, they're placeholders and blah 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 but i'm sure the main storyline will also have some kind of linearity to it and will seem similar so the ability to randomize some events and have people play them as a one-off where you only get one chance and you don't know what it's going to be like, you can't really prepare and you just have to play it at the time. That would kind of really test people's skill. You know, it's like, how do you adapt in the actual scenario where you haven't been able to watch other people hunt cultists for 1500 raids? And now, you know, this guy spawns here and this guy spawns here. And then you might lean peek here and you headshot this man and you run around this bit and then you look through this tiny crack and a piece of blade of grass. And then you headshot this dude. It's like, it's like the the whole i think rogue farming in some ways has kind of led us to this formulaic tarkov which is not really mm-hmm. what tarkov's supposed to be so i would mm-hmm. be a, a very positive about individual events that are like sort of random and new and different and you just play them the once and maybe scale the difficulty down a little bit because you only get one chance or whatever anything that just sort of keeps people interested and is uh i guess sustainable from bsg to put out because you just have like a hard version of, of the map in, in effect it wouldn't be as complicated mm-hmm. as an event you know, you just have like difficult enemies placed in places they aren't normally. You could almost randomize it a bit, and sometimes it would suck. And if it did, then oh, well, it's only it's all one off. Mm-hmm. It'll be different next week. You know, something yeah, like that. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Here's the thing. I want to jump in here real quick because you said something earlier, Giga, about people play customs a lot because it's a really cool map. And I think it might be more than that. I think that one reason is like let's set aside quests progression for a second because they're Mm. as you said you can prep for them you know we already know what they are um and they dictate you know you have to go here and loot this or you have to find this item in the raid right so set those aside for a second but the most what's the most important resource in your guys's mind in tarkov xp xp okay that's a good one (laughs) any others resource like what you're bringing into the game with you or what um resource as in what does how would I describe this resource? Like what the most important thing that allows you to do the most, I guess. I'd say for right now it's flea market. You get before and after flea. That's the, okay. that's night and day difference on the game. 
Mine. But kind of the same thing as, as you're saying XP as well, which I was actually thinking money, right? Because of money, I can I have you know all the money in the world, and I can do whatever I want essentially. And less so now. Less so now, yes. So it's well, let's tie in the XP thing because you still get the same amount of XP for killing. Well, I don't know. Do you do you get more XP if you kill it's high tweaked, level players? Yeah, yeah they've tweaked that stuff recently. So I, don't, I don't know off the top of my head. It scales? I, I wonder if it scales or not. I don't I know. I actually can't remember. Jumping to my point, I feel like choosing between, for making money, like customs, like the only map I don't think is true for is Factory. But Factory's kind of an interesting map, but I'll get that in a second. I feel like I can make just as much money going to customs as I can any other map, right? Because it's not like customs only has, um, you know, nuts and mm. bolts. You know what I mean? There's like no like it, in other words, I can I have the landscape, my different battle rings to choose from. Do I want to duke it out and resort, you know, and get some resources? Because all the loot there is good. It doesn't matter. It's all bar items. It might as well just be replaced by rubles. You know, <laughs> like essentially. Mm-hmm. My point is like when it comes to factory though, like it's kind of hard to make money on factory. You know, I don't know if you guys tried. It's kind of hard. There's not a whole lot of loot, but there is one unique thing about it is Tagilla. You can only get his mask from him, and you can only get his armor from him. And there is kind of an incentive to go there and get his armor because it's a class six armor rig for late game players. That's a really good rig, and you can take it on maps like Reserve and um, Lighthouse to use for the uh, for Rebel extract. But it's you know it's all spawn dependent on him spawning and whatnot. So there's like a sp- a very specific incentive for high level players to do this one specific thing to get this gear that they can only get on that map. Whereas like all the other maps, if you're after money. You can just do, or even XP to an extent, you could just duke it out, shoot things, do this and that and the other, and you're going to get equal XP. There's not like a direct deriving force. So in some ways, it's almost like, if I need to make money, why not go customs where some of the players are going to be less geared, less skilled, and there's still plenty of barter items for me to loot and take out a raid. I don't know, just a thought I had to that. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting thing because you're, you're talking about like you're talking about starting on a map like the beach, going up to the snow. Man, if they make if they have streets as the starting map, my like, guys, mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to stay here the whole time. <laughs> right? I, I don't yeah, ever maybe. go to a different map. You know, this map's amazing. You know, but you see how when you have when you bring in things of loot or like progression and stuff, how that really does start. It may start inadvertently narrowing down. Like you're saying customs is now kind of to go. Well, man. One of the spices of life is variety for Tarkov. What if you really mm-hmm. just like a certain map? There might be someone out there, poor soul out there, who just loves Factory. <laughs> like it, no, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. But, you know, they might really like it. Yeah. But it's like, okay, but the game kind of disincentivizes me from hanging out there very much. So, I don't know. Whereas you see as other games, maps are kind of like just like uh, like scenery, right? What flavor do I want to play? Oh, I like the, whether it's PUBG, I like the one with the, whatever it's the, the volcano or the, or the city or the whatever, right? It's kind of like you can go and get a similar experience no matter what you're choosing for the most part. Whereas with Tarkov, like you're saying, you can pick a certain map and feel like, man, this is it. But because the player base has migrated, some, it's like you don't get, you're not, there's no uh, guarantee, which is the wrong word. We don't really want guarantees, but you know what I mean? It's really hard to create a consistency for the player given how fluid things are around what people choose to do and where they congregate around. You're saying currently it is not consistent because of like things like 
progression, like quests, like, you know, there's a big shoreline quest line that you got. Is that kind of what you're sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm, yeah. That's what I'm saying is like, what you see is like, you talk about like, again, like an online game. Mm-hmm. What is the reason I want to go online? I'm going to go back to the back and dial up, right? First okay. time I ever played. It's because you want to have other players. You want to interact yeah, with another yeah. person, right? That is so cool. It's like the ultimate, ultimate prey, right? A, a guy who thinks can outsmart mm-hmm. me, maybe so much better than AI. That's like the ultimate thing. Yes, right. And what's interesting with Tarkov is, is another interesting dynamic of the game brings. There's so much happenstance in the game. Maybe a squad happens to go through yes, trying to get the pocket okay. watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a great firefight. We hardly ever see people going through there now, right? Because yeah. there's not much of a reason to go there. But because that happened, that was so cool and unexpected, right? Right. The unexpectedness is what makes it feel so fresh, but at the same time, it can also work against the game. Mm. Because there's plenty of times where you can just be crickets, right? Okay. <laughs> Again, I'm thinking of onboarding a new player. Dude, this game is awesome. I'm telling you, these firefights, you're going to be sweating. Let's go. <laughs> we go through a raid. Nothing happens. No, 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 no. You got, you, got, you, got, you got time for one more? Let's go one more, right? Okay, one more. It's going to happen. Okay, maybe something small happened. Dang it, you still need to. So here's a guy, let's just say, gets off work, whatever. I spent two hours, three hours of the game. I did a handful of raids. Nothing really clicked. Yeah, I don't know. Again, you have to get it to where they have that experience, then they're hooked. So how, do, again, you picture like the tasks and AI as mm-hmm. a vehicle to cause players to cross paths. They yes. cause some interaction yeah, yeah, yeah. that's still somewhat randomized. We don't want to be too predictable because then it becomes boring, right? Yeah. That's what makes Tarkov so cool is it is unpredictable, but how do you shoehorn that to a certain extent? You know, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling too, so I'll, I'll start shutting up if you guys are really I, I, I think I know what you mean, right? Yeah. And I think the mechanics like the airdrops are a really good example yeah. of exactly that, right? It's a random event. You don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does, you know people are going to go there. You know, it's a really good idea. And I think um, some people had mentioned previously about the dailies, about maybe aligning some people's dailies, not so that it's all yeah. random, but just get people to go to the same place on the same there day, um, that kind of thing. And maybe give people different quests in the same area, you know, protect this area from da-da-da or like get so many kills or whatever. I mean, the protect ones have ended up really badly for, for the other quests, but, you know, just mm-hmm. that's just off the top of my head. But maybe it's go to this area and loot an item or go to this area and protect it for three minutes and someone else has to, mm-hmm. you know, go to that area and set off a smoke smoke screen or whatever it is and then it's like oh i'm here and then there's a guy there and there's a the smoke going and it's like you know it forces up player engagement so i know exactly yeah, what yeah, you mean. yeah. yeah. I, do, I do think the airdrops are really good for, for that kind of thing but it's uh we've seen these missed opportunities previously with like the water event and, and things like that where you could have done some really really neat stuff and i do think bsg are learning with these events about how what works what doesn't work what's fun what isn't fun um and what drives player engagement and what doesn't like the one event and this is the thing bsg gets an enormous amount of flack for when events just end up sort of falling a little bit short and they don't get anywhere near enough praise when things go really really well the end of wipe events this time with the, the special thing with like the toxin and like the injectors inside like the bosses that you have to go and kill with the timer dude that was so cool honestly that was so so much fun it was like some of the most fun events they've ever done and everyone's like yeah it's kind of cool and everyone's forgotten about it never no one talks about it again now because it's it was it was done really well and that's the mark of a good event when people yeah. aren't talking about it into forever <laughs> about how crap it was you know that's that tells you how good that event was um, so I do think they're learning and I do think they're understanding what people find good. And uh, that came sort of out of left field when people were a bit disillusioned with the whole delay on Lightkeeper and all of this kind of thing. And it ends up being a really, really sick event for the end of the wipe. It was neat. So there's, yeah, there's stuff like that. I, I agree with you completely that those, those types of events 
are really great and, and make people yeah. have those special raids more often than not and allow people to do those things if they want to because some people do just want to have a quiet raid and just slip through and, and that's it but that's the beauty of the airdrops is the people who want to play high high octane pvp and have a big fight duke it out over some sick loot can do people who don't want to can sort of skirt around and just make their merry way across the extract and slip out it's it's very uh it's very high on player agency and i'm a big fan of that Cool. Yeah, to, to add on what you said earlier, is I was playing on Shoreline. I've been playing a lot of Shoreline. I got a I got a weekly there to kill scavs, and I am noticing I'm running the players, which is interesting because I'm going to places like Pier. I'm going to like gas station, you know, Power, like all these other places. And but where I'm not running the players is at the UAV. You know, the crash UAV by like the sniper oh, yeah. scav rock, because that's like a static one time quest that like you know. I'm sure someone in my raids has probably passed by there and done it, but it's probably very far few in between. And I do wish that the dailies, because I think what's happening is if you got dailies to kill scavs, then you are going to go to these scav locations. Maybe you just want the XP, maybe you just want the loot there, whatever. But those are all incentives, whereas, like, I feel very safe going to that UAV. Like, I had a moment where I was like, oh, my God, there could be a player here. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) This is a quest. This was like week one, you know, whatever. It's like, there's no one here. But if there was dailies that sort of like recycled some of these quests, if you will, like they had marking quests, like go mark the tanks. And, you know, that was like one of the possibilities. Because, again, I like what Spectre is saying. It's like you do have these like quests that like say, go here, do this. And you can like potentially run into players there unexpectedly. You know, it's not when I go to Shoreline and the Duke Island Resort, I know there's going to be based off this spawn going here. I know this person could be here it could be here there's probably gonna be people in resort as well because everyone's trying to make money but yeah and you mentioned this is a cool thing i thought of too nikita's mentioned this before in the past maybe doing radios at some point that last time i heard they're still commanded to maybe pulling those in at some point mm-hmm. and nikita's talking about one of the things he kind of brainstormed out loud when one of the podcasts was uh you know you might be you get like special details when you if you bring the radio in you'll get certain like radio information that's pulled into you or something and I, that, that's where again my group of stuff had these awesome ideas like oh my gosh could you imagine you go in with a radio and you have shared missions for people on the map that maybe you get choices, right? Proper radios in. Hey, I need someone to do this, right? And then peacekeeper radios in some people later. Hey, oh, oh peacekeeper, you know, propers want to do that. I'll pay you to do this, like a <laughs> counter task. Yeah. To get the play, the players on the map kind of choosing, oh, I want to go for proper. Or, oh, I'm going to go for, and get, again, these kind of clashes. Or maybe they're like a sneak in, infiltrate something, get it out type thing. Maybe it's a hold the area, prevent. Uh, there, I, hey, rumor has it there might be a team on there trying to sneak in the fortress. I need you to hold hold the map, hold that area for a certain time window. Maybe they make it late in the raid to encourage people for not just bouncing, right? So then, you, okay, now you have people camping there intentionally, wiping it out and holding an observation point to see, oh, crap, I think we have some dudes sneaking in, right? Or you could, uh, there's so many different ways you could take it. Mm-hmm. You could take it where certain squads could team up. Hey, there's another squad. Hey, we had two two takers on on my on my mission to watch out. You got at least two you got two friendly squads in there with you, and maybe there's like a supply crate. We have individual supply drops. Maybe they put on once you okay accept the mission, go to supply crate, and then you put on a certain color armband, right? So you know you have positive ID your people as you're in there. They got the same armband, right? So you have this. So you mentioned with VoIP all these things that adds in to have these cool dynamics that. You could take a game like that, and I will. I would play that twenty four seven, 
like till the cows come home, right? There's so many, so much freedom and interesting mechanics there. I don't need to go play CSGO to plant a bomb and get a little, get a little quick fix to that. I can get that and so much more yeah. with, did you guys, and think of the advertising on that too. Dudes, guys, you haven't played Tarkov in a while. This is a time to come back. Oh, spec. You're, you're going to rag us again to come. No, guys, here's why. And you can have, this is what's going on. And they say, oh, okay, it's worth it. Let's, let's try to learn this game again, right? And I think, again, a certain level of consistency, but player agency, man. Again, I, my brain just goes for miles on that stuff. It's like, I think we do as well. It's the same thing as, as you were thinking that. I was like, man, can you imagine like how, how sick it would be if you went in and there's like the special quest. If you accept it, you actually get given the radio frequency and everyone who accepts yeah. it, they go on the same radio. You so you're yeah, like, yeah, and yeah, now yeah. you speak to the other USEX who are on that mission with you. Um, that came from Peacekeeper, and no one else knows what that frequency is. So now you can speak to the other people on the map that weren't in your team if you decided to complete that mission. And yeah, yeah maybe man. they could betray you or whatever, but like it's it's the opening of something new and some more awesome stuff for kind of why would people speak to each other on the radio otherwise unless there's some kind of shared goal? And yeah, mm-hmm. maybe you even need it that two positions need to be held at the same time. Maybe there's two things that need to be marked in tandem or something. I don't know. You need to mm-hmm. send off two mm-hmm. smoke flares. One needs to go Secret off. Secret extra watches. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like one needs to go off a weather station, the other one needs to go off in the swamp. You know, you have to put two mm-hmm. flares down and you have to synchronize it together. Like you can't get to both. You know, it's it, things like that would just be so, so sick, dude. It would be awesome. Yeah. There's so much scope to do so, some cool things. I really hope that they bring at least just like even a fraction of this would, mm-hmm. would be amazing. Um, like yeah, the yeah. thing about Tarkov is it's such a wonderful base. It's such a wonderful base to start with. Um, when they when they release and when they've got the, the storyline and all this other stuff in, I really hope that some of these dynamic elements, because that's what's going to really, I think, decide on the game's longevity is yeah. the gameplay loop. And we talk about this constantly about player driven storyline or player driven quests where, you know, the hideout is out of fuel and rather than just buying it off the fleet. You know, you've got to go somewhere to get a thing, you know, maybe, maybe you need to fix fix up something in the hideout, but it needs to be found in raid or whatever. I mean, most of these these comments end up going down more towards the hardcore route because you can't just buy things off the flea. But mm-hmm. anything like that where it's, well, I need to go and get this ammo to go and defeat this boss because he's got certain tier armor, so we need to go to this map first and then I have to go and get this stuff and da 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 It's when people are doing the things for themselves. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. something that Tarkov struggles a little bit with against games like Rust, against DayZ, against um, some of those others where they are open world and they are freeform by their very nature. And the item mm-hmm. gathering, I mean, it, it's they're hardcore by definition because there is no flea market and there's no traders in those games unless you're playing the mods or whatever. But like the core games are like Tarkov, but hardcore because you have to go and gather all the items yourself. So, you know, if Tarkov had no flea and, and very limited traders, that it would play out sort of more similarly in that player-driven agency type thing. You'd obviously have to redistribute all the loot pools and things to make it possible and be able to siphon fuel off cars, whatever, make it easier to get hideout fuel and all this stuff. But um, mm-hmm. I do think that's that's really where, I think, for the long term of the game, the ideas like that, which make people go out and do cool stuff, plus decreasing the reliance upon the static hideout and the, and the way that we interact with the flea market and the traders is really, for me, I think that's critical for the long-term game loop. I really do. I really do. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of great things like you're talking about just being able to buy your way through stuff. Man, if that, I, I, I was a pre flea baby, right? So before yeah. all this, all we had these handouts, <laughs> man, the game was so different, so mm-hmm. different. And you talk about, here's, here's one interesting part too. You're talking about like gameplay loops and incentives. One of the most effective, not to go back to this topic fully, but the recall thing, one of the most effective events or changes in Tarkov that I have ever seen that limited that 
was scarcity of ammo. They had an event for a while. It was a long time ago where they made ammo super hard. I think they were like out of stock and like the flea, they changed. Right. I forget now flea was in the picture back then, but they made it to where ammo was super hard to get to come by. And what did you see? That, this was back when things were more laser beamy with full auto. You saw players did not go in with 60 rounders, just spraying everything inside. They were more picky and choosy because they knew, ah, these are my good rounds. I need to, they had an incentive to kind of save them a bit. Uh, and that was, an, again, take mechanics out of it. Just incentives of loss aversion and all that kind of stuff yeah. is what played on their minds of causing a player a behavior change, you know? So I'm talking, yeah. about, talking about levers and what they can change to pull, things they can affect. There are so many different things they could do that would drastically, or just nudge, doesn't matter to be drastic, but just nudge the game. And I don't know any other, many other games that have that variety of different things they can turn on and off and toggle. And man, again, I just see it. if they start playing with these a bit, it, they just have a gold mine. I mean, it's just awesome. Exactly, because we have we have other elements that they can deal with, right? Like the there's the economic angle for money or whatever, but also just the scarcity in and of itself. I mean, I think the to get more towards that sort of model, and we are slowly getting there, but I do still think that some stuff needs to be pulled back a little bit. I mean, I think both me, I, I can safely say that me and Church are pretty strong um, opponents of the global limits in general, and I, I personally feel that getting rid of global limits and pulling individual player limits down a little bit more would be quite intriguing because I was looking at 762 BP again, as usual, um, you know, the, the round du jour, and I say du jour, but for, for basically the last, you know, year. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been good forever that, that round, but uh, ever since the mutant, it's been out of control. And I was amazed that they didn't change it a little more this wipe. You know, they did the Grenadier thing. It's behind Grenadier instead. Da, da, da. But in some ways, it's interesting to me that you can do the craft. It gives you 120 rounds, but it takes 15 hours. That kind of feels okay to me. When you're lucky from Prapor and you can get 120 rounds every three hours, it feels like you don't ever have to think about it and you just run that stuff nonstop. You know? it's, it's a weird one where I, I kind of agree with you and I say that the game's more interesting when you don't just have 60 rounds full of the, all the best ammo and you can just run that nonstop. I do think it detracts from the game. And, and I know a lot of people are complaining now about the weight system and stuff, but and I, I agree with J-Dog the Wise. He's been a very, very loud proponent on Twitter of the fact that this is the first time I've ever had to think about weight. This is the first time I've ever had to create kits that are underweight. You know, never had to think about it before. And I, th- and I think it's good. And I agree with him on that, honestly. Um, yeah, it can still be tweaked, but having mechanics, and it sort of loops all the way back to what Church was saying about the malfunctions thing, they want malfunctions in the game, being able to 100% circumvent a particular mechanic is not really the intention. People should have to be thinking about these things, whether it's about conservation of ammo, about whether it's worth using 60 rounders and all this kind of stuff. I, I, th- I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Nikita's very fond, I think, of the, the nudge theory and the slow progress there. We've got some of the big rounds that are now banned off the flea market completely and they're not even on the traders or anything. APSX is just non-existent anymore and these kind of things. So maybe some of those can be tweaked. But I think as these top rounds are restricted more and more and more, people are going to be thinking about stacking their mags, being more careful with ammo. And it's actually an interesting one that you say about this whole recoil and the, the player behavior. People won't want to spray full mags of M995 if they have 20 rounds of the stuff. You know what I mean? It's uh, like, yeah, yeah. it's exactly that. It's your, your incentivizing yeah. player behavior by restricting the ammunition, which is quite mm-hmm. interesting. And um, you can so take another... Yeah, yeah, no, there's just, there's just different ways to go about it, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and you could even say, like, they, they flirted with this before in the past. I, I honestly don't know if they're looking at it, but weapon resting in bipods, like functional bipods, was uh, saying a long time ago they really 
Think about how that would change up the gameplay. Okay, then you could have recoil that is kind of outsized and a little bit weird and goofy, right? But if you are holding angle, if you're posted up, right? Oh, then you're more rock solid. That would give an incentive again to counterbalance that whole run and gun shift W stuff where, ooh, now you could be a little more crafty with some things. You know? So I, I only say that to say, once again, there's so many cool things they could do without touching the actual thing itself. Mm-hmm. They could go around the edges to bring another things that indirectly feed into that, that whatever mechanic they're trying to touch that alters, again, player behavior from like a game design incentive standpoint too. So, yeah. Very true. What's, uh, what's been one of your videos? Because I've seen you put out a lot of videos, actually. Um, content me off guard what's what's been one that you're you're most proud of uh oh okay the one i've been most proud of just because it took a long time Mm -hmm. it was like (laughs) when you say walls of text no i mean walls of text right so this the one of the one of the systems i've really enjoyed in other games is a free aim system to prevent people from just center screen aiming everything and just knowing Pretty pretty closely, that's the general area of everything's going to go, everything's going to go. Because I know players that we, we talk about this all the time, higher level players that I play with who just say that. I rarely ADS. If it's if it's even at certain ranges where I'm like, dude, you're still not? No, I don't. Wow, okay. And he's showing me footage of this stuff. I'm realizing, wow, okay, interesting. And you have other games, so it's like, what what's the idea of this? The mechanic is, how do you how do you help incentivize people to want to ADS to take an accurate shot? So one of the examples I gave was you have someone with a weapon. I can't, I can't show it, but weapon down looking over the site. Should there be, <clears throat> from an incentive standpoint, should there be an incentive from someone shooting like this versus shooting like this? Instinctively, we always think, man, someone like this should be dead to rights, good to go, right? Posted up, ready to go. Not this guy walking in just doing this, right? To pull off accurate shots. <clears throat> so you've got like, like Red Orchestra's a game that had free aim a lot. And I had this big old thing. A lot of people didn't even know what that was. So I had to spend a lot of time. This I, That was the big one that drove me. Gosh dang it. <laughs> I have slaved away at this. I've loved it. All this feedback and pushback and arguing in a great, in a great constructive way has helped me refine it to where I can convey this properly, right? I got to go to video. And that was the first ones. It was, I woke up and I realized I, I didn't know how to do it. I'm not a big editor. How do I even do this in an editor? I have no idea. Then I realized... I could do it with different zooms, different zoom levels to have different things move at different rates. That's how I overlay things. That's how I show it. And I said, yes. And that was a big one. I spent some time, a lot of the groups I played with helped me work on, that was back when I thought you had to have a script, right? To refine the message and get it down pat. But no, you don't have to go that hard. But I did, right? To get that across. And that was a big one, was free aim. And it's letting people know that, like, Red Orchestra has, I have a video on that one too, that shows how big Red Orchestra's free aim circle is. It's gigantic. So you And I think Insurgency is another game that has it. And there are times where I've played those games a lot where you can square up to a guy. And here's the question. You square up to a target instinctively. You face it, right? What, how close does the person need to be for us to feel like that's reasonable? He should be able to hit that without thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, oh, oh I'm a surprise. I can shoot off. Okay, should I pull that off if he's 10 meters away? I, I would expect to, let's say, right? What about 15 meters? What about 20? Okay, 20 is getting a little bit close, maybe. Okay, what about 50? Ooh, okay, here's where it's getting kind of weird. On an instinctive, like, reactive type thing, right. that's, that's kind of pushing it, right? And I, when I see this footage of what my friends are showing me, they're showing me they can reliably do that stuff. So what a free aim would do is disassociate the weapon's point of aim from the camera's 
point of positioning. And there's games that have, and again, Red Orchestra gets it really big. A lot of people don't like it. It feels really sluggish. It feels too, there's times when you can square up to someone who's literally, you're touching noses, right? And you miss. It's like, why? Because there's, there's, it's such a big range. You, your weapon can be so off, you'll miss right up, right in front of you. So my thing was I had to go right up on this. I did all the math on FOV angles and stuff. Certain distances, what, what, would those, what would those circle ranges be represented on the screen, on the monitor? What, what type of area would that be on the screen? And, man, you could see they could bring it in really tight, tighter than, we've, than the game has ever really done, and start playing with that. And people would see that, oh, this feels really snappy, really responsive. I, I think, think about the inertia. I understand why. If mm-hmm. I can understand the why and the incentive behind it, okay, I'm willing to go down this road with BSG and help them explore this, right? If people don't agree with the why, as if people should be able to just 360 no-scope all day, in a game like Tarkov, come on now, come on now. When we watch the footage, like like the little move, they're short films. We don't see people doing that. We get sucked in because they're not doing that. The visceral nature of that is what makes yeah. it so intense. So, hell, if this is something that could help bring that in, introduce it somewhere. So, anyway, as far as a uh, big opus, let's say that was one of the bigger ones. Uh, was that one? That's cool. Uh, and then the flip, the flip was a big one. Uh, there's other stuff I started going to with actual player physics and movement, but that's I'm taking that a different way. <laughs> I have seen the the free aim because I remember there was a bit a big fuss or a big discussion about it on like Twitter. Maybe it was like Clean that was talking about it. I think it was Clean mm-hmm. did a video and it yeah. got a lot of traction. And there was because BSG put out some. I think it was one of the podcasts yeah, they yeah, did. And they had they they showed a vector in customs and like oh look at the animation it's not center of a point you know it's off and but um no I've I've seen that video I really liked it and uh, if if anything we've discussed today with spectator interest the listeners by all means go check out his his YouTube channel uh, tons of interesting ideas and and concepts potentially may even see and and if I understand correctly as you told me the other day you may be one to be credited for onboarding BSG with Steam Audio, per se? Uh, I, there's a good reason to, to say that, yeah. I mean, so it was uh, back in March of 2018, so way long ago. Mm-hmm. I was doing research on sound propagation and 3D audio and stuff. Yeah. And I came across, the early days of Steam Audio were showing a bunch of demos of it. I said, whoa, 3D audio was a big part of the community back then. I th- I don't, I'm wanting to say it was maybe before they did the old the hard level gaps on uh, on occlusion. It was even before that, I want mm. to say. And the, the question I just posed was, hey, if you guys are wanting good 3D audio, why not check out this plugin called Steam Audio? It's free, doesn't cost anything. It's compatible with Unity. And I just po- I shared their videos and stuff, linked to their, their GitHubs and everything like that. And then, then I spent walls of text brainstorming, <laughs> talking about this stuff, trying to introduce people to what this means. Because sound propagation is a new thing. The closest game that's come close to like that, in my mind, is that took off a little bit, was like Rainbow Six Siege. Siege has a very mm-hmm. interesting sound system they did in-house to help things that actually take, uh, look at portals and openings and how sound actually travels around uh, obstacles. It's very interesting. Unfortunately, with Steam Audio, there's a lot of hype in there, and I was a fanboy with that stuff too. Except when it comes into practice at scale, when you go and start plugging in Steam Audio at scale, not the HRTF module. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the other stuff that uh, I, I can get technical, but I'm trying not to unless you guys want me to. There's all these wonderful things that 
that simulate how sound actually literally travels through geometry of a map, right? How it goes through a hallway, reverberates, echoes, right. how you go into different rooms, and it's dynamically calculated how much reverb is going to be there, how much all this kind of stuff goes on. But what, And I think the initial impression of that, when you showed that demo, we were all were, oh, this is awesome, was that full package. Holy crap, this would be amazing. Could you, if you, if you see the movie Heat, one of the things they get, got, got, got credit for in Heat was when they filmed that infamous shootout outdoors in the, in the buildings, they actually used, I think it was simunitions or some type of blanks, they did some type of rigging, where they were literally firing these high percussive sounds in the real world, and that's what made it sound so amazing in the movie, right? So you picture this type of cascading stuff in like a map like Interchange and all these different, it's like, whoa, blow your mind, right? And then the reality sets in of, okay, sorry, uh, I know we advertised this, but the little slice of life we gave you was very, we kind of couched in a certain way to present it to where it's all looks, it works perfectly, right? Because we set it up just so. When you start pulling that stuff in, and I, I mocked up some levels in Unity and stuff and just played around with it, dropped it in and implemented it and made, messed around with this stuff. And you start seeing that uh, it just doesn't work very well. And it has, it has performance tanks big time, which is a big one. And also, it's just inaccurate, which if you're thinking, well, not a big deal, but there are certain edge cases you can set up in the map that are actually very complicated to compute from a, from a, from like a ray cast and all these things, perspective of what goes on behind the scenes, very complicated to, to compute. But actually, in a first-person shooter, those are very common situations where you're looking through not one window, but a second window right. in the room where you're seeing someone. You're seeing a certain type of uh, foliage brush that with a mesh is uh, transparent a certain way, and you're peeking through it. There's all these weird things I could do that would get it to kind of literally mess up and render it and render the soundscape the wrong way. And it's like, well, there's no option. You can't say, let me go into the nuts and bolts of Steam Audio and tweak this. It's kind of a closed box, right? So it's like, uh, okay, let me file a bug report and let them know, and hopefully they'll be able to fix this, right? And I think, this is me just talking off, offhand, I, this, I'm one of the guys, even though I helped kind of spearhead it, let's say, I'm now encouraged by the fact that they're stepping away from Steam Audio. Since we can't get the full package and all we're left with is the HRTF module, well, there, whether we like it or not, there are bugs with it, right? And I think Vertoff did an awesome, he does a lot of good videos. He did an awesome one to show his, I think it's like a three-hour magnum opus type thing where he shows, he, his whole thing he was trying to show to people was, hey, Steam audio is better than stock audio. I can prove it to you. Let's go through and test it together, right? And he got people who were dogging Steam audio, right, Un not realizing it's actually core issues with the sound engine, right, mm -hmm. that, are, that are there. And yeah. if, you, if you activate binaural audio, right, it can help. And he did show that, right? There's, there's a market improvement on people being able to localize certain sounds. But the bigger point of that, which so is, becomes interesting, as well. So his results were like 52% with his small group, 56% with his larger group of testers. As far as being able to distinguish, like blind study, eyes closed, I play a sound, where do you hear it? Is this in front of you, behind you, below you, right? And he had people just guess, uh, I think that's behind me. I think it's right. And their thing was 52, 56%, which compared to the, the, the low numbers of non steam audio, it's like, that's so much better. And I'm saying, whoa, wait, 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 wait. It is better, yes, but let's not miss the forest for the trees here. If we step back and realize HRTF solution is 50-50, more or less, that's a coin flip. 
And if you were to sit here and take, uh, don't do front and back, up and down. Let's, let's just talk something we can all relate to, just left and right channels. If I have a game that's representing audio in such a way where I miss, I make a mistake on left versus right half the time, that would be horrendous. That would be like unplayable. There's no way. I hear, I hear footsteps. Oh, oh crap. It was my left side. Dang it. I, I, I misinterpreted it again, right? And yet, that's exactly the results that we saw with HRTF through Steam Audio, right? Was that same level of 50-50. And this is, I think, even the highest level players, Pestling stuff, were like, I think 66% is what he tagged them as. Okay, so we're talking the best players in the game who've been playing this forever, let's say, yeah. right? Super experienced. And they're still only biting two-thirds. That's awful. That is not a threshold. If I was like an auditory specialist, right? Sat someone down for a hearing test. Raise your hand. Left, left. I hear them on the right side. Right side, left. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, those were all left. What were those two right hand things you raised, right? Mm. Oh, well, I heard them on my right. That'd be like, whoa, whoa, stop. I think there's a problem with your hearing, right? Yeah. So in that same idea, I think they're wise to look at other solutions. I, I don't know what they're doing behind the scenes, right? But I'm just saying the pop-in's a big one. And that mm. goes back to veterancy, right? People who know, no, there's no door there. The door that we're hearing is because we know the map so well, we, we don't understand right. how much we even add to the game. Whereas a new player, they are confused as heck. Yeah. They're thinking, what the heck is this game, right? This is ridiculous. So there are other solutions out there. A lot of people credit the Hunt Showdown. That's not true. Hunt Showdown does not use Steam Audio. They use audio. They use something from Audio Kinetic, something called WIs, and they built their own in-house uh, plug-in for HRTF spatialization that they call, that I think it's called, call, yeah, it's called Cryspatial. I and have heard find that everywhere about them using Steam no, no. Audio. And then here's the interesting thing. Okay, so let's go back to this. Here's the interesting thing. There's so much misinformation out there that not not to rag anything, but for someone who is like let's say more technically involved and knows this kind of stuff, it's really hard to push back against that wave. I've been in so many discussions, so many posts, trying to get no guys. It is not yes, it is yes, it is. Here's the receipts. Here's the devs on their talk talking about it, talking about developing their in-house thing called that they call Christ-spatial. Here's the receipts on them using WIs. Case closed, right? Case closed. And there's not many games that use Steam Audio. Believe it or not, it's kind of this weird thing. So I could see. From BSG's angle, we've been toying with this, let's say, two years. Let's just say more or less. They they are ahead of the curve on us. Maybe they know that once we start o overloading this with a map as complex as streets, with different things we're wanting to do, with newer versions of Unity, holy crap, it really starts maybe breaking in certain ways, showing its wear and tear in certain ways, right? And that's where I'm saying, again, not the fanboy, but just say, hey, guys, the same devs that listen to us and wanted to improve it the first time around by looking at Steam Audio, which was, an, again, think they listened to us. They took that feedback, right? It's the same dev team who's still listening, who still wants great audio. They're just saying, for whatever reason, we don't think this is the path forward, right? Because it's not, I think a lot of people take it for granted that they feel like because they're programmers, they can go in there and fix Steam Audio. That's not how it works. And I, I've had offline conversations with a lot of developers that I've gotten to know over these years who do have worked with Steam Audio, and they've, they've all scrapped it. They said, I can't. And I'll, I'll show you why. And they've shared screen with me and showed them, walked through their level stuff, and they'll show me. I'm standing here, listening to where that's coming from. That's awful. And he's like, yes, and I can't fix it. The only way I can fix it, and they show me, is to make, you know how you have those, like, invisible walls? Mm. Like, in the map where you go, you just hit a barrier. Yeah. yeah. Go there, you can't jump on a railing. You can't, whatever. Right. They have to do those types of fake workarounds to kind of, like, shoehorn the audio mm -hmm. engine to kind of think things are where they're really not. 
to kind of fix certain things, right? Um, and I, so I guess where I'm going with is I, I, I tend to, again, my money's back on BSG. The same guys listened to the first time, the same guys listen to us now. And they know better than us that HRTF thing is not working out maybe like we wanted it to. There's something better we can hopefully do. And if, even if it's just replacing with one of the other HRTF solutions, which there are many others out there, we could also get a win for win where they also say, you know what? Technology has come a long way since we first built our first maps, right? Of how we thought about compartmentalizing with maybe it's a cuboid occlusion stuff with, with factory or whatever. They've matured. Maybe they know now we know a better way to do this. Let's take a crack at it, right? And so I guess I don't think they know how important the audio is. They know that. They hear it. Every, every poll they've ran, that's consistently been at the top. Every player saying, yes, this yeah. is awful. And they're listening, right? They're listening. So I'm one of those guys where I understand where they're coming from in stream audio. If there are bugs in the stream audio, not to, not to throw, them out, throw them under the bus, but if there are things they have not been able to make headway on and there's still bugs there, BSG's clueless. It's a black box. Either they're going to help us fix these issues or not. We we don't have a say, right? So in that, maybe they do have to kind of cut, start, okay, we'll look, we have to look at another solution. And given that we want to get to version 1.0, Sooner we do this, the better, because we need chime to whatever other thing we pull in to fix it, to go around it, to see how it plays out in real time, right? To to fix it and get it get it where we want it to be. So, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of a, fan, a fanboy in that way because I, I've seen the detriments of Steam Audio, and I know there are, like Microsoft has one called. Just to give you guys an example, so Steam Audio, and they do these examples. What comes up in examples where you go on to YouTube, you get this one called a barbershop where it shows the power of HRTF, where you sit there and put your headphones on and this guy comes talking behind you. It's a guy playing a thing I think I've seen and then he yeah. comes and cuts your hair. And you're thinking, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> right? And it is, it is amazing. Except, and this is me, I'm going to get big brain nerd out too, too much on this probably. There's some very subtle things those guys are doing in that video. Even they, even they might not even be doing it intentionally. But there's a certain thing you can do where you prime somebody's understanding of something, and they do that in that video to a T. Mm. They will say, okay, I'm going to listen to me as I trim the back of your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, whoa, it sounded like it was behind me. Okay, listen to me now as I go over your head with the scissors, right? Right? And if you stop and think about that, you think, okay, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to drama, dramatize this a bit. Whoa, I felt like it was really behind me and really over me, is how we originally think, thought of it. And my, my, my pushback on that was, well, yes, but no. There are some subtle cues there where the movement of sound is what sells that, is, is what sells that effect. Yeah, you, can, you, can, you can pick up on the changes of the EQ and the panning to realize something's different. And what is that difference supposed to mean? It's supposed to mean he's behind me. Oh, I do hear it behind me. It's kind of like magicians do that. You, the power of suggestion. You suggest mm. something to somebody and they will imagine something there even though it's not, right? Their brains will literally perceive it as being there. So what's interesting is, even if you take this, look at what they're not advertising. What's the one thing as gamers, since I was a kid, you would love to have? Back to Battlefield 2 days, right? If I had a helicopter that I could hear right above me, that would be insane. Right. And there was a time there where they were geeking out. I think it's not 7.1. They call it something else where they actually had systems with speakers that you can mount above you to get and they, they <laughs> rely on people to mix it that way. Yeah. And that there's a thing they test they do or below you. Right. And I'm saying, mm -hmm. OK, hold on. Whoa, whoa. So what are they not advertising? A, he had to prompt you. I'm going behind you. Now I'm going 
above you. Don't I sound amazing? Right. Okay, first of all, they had a guitar that was always playing in the front left channel to help ground the player. Mm-hmm. So no, that is what normal sounds like, right? Now I can, I can, I can judge all these adjustments against that, that bass sound to help me pick up on the frequency things that HPF is doing, the phasing and the delays and stuff they put in. Oh, so that's one way. The other thing is this. If you could pull that off, you would not show it that way. Let me brainstorm this. It would be this. You sit in your chair. I'm not going to say a word. You're just going to feel like the, the heavens opened up and you're being portaled up by some alien you know, beam or whatever directly overhead. You'd say, what the heck? You'd look up. What is happening? Right. Or you'd say there's an earthquake at my feet and the ground splitting open. You would instinctively. Oh, what the heck's happening? Right. You would advertise it that way. If it was that precise, that's how you would show it to b- blow people's minds. You wouldn't lead them. You wouldn't spend 95 percent of the video. Worrying about panning left and right and all this, you'd show them these extremes, which is that's the holy grail, right? So in that way, one more little tidbit, then I'll shut up. <laughs> it's different when you're stationary. You can pull this stuff off when the listener is still, because our again, our ears, as as complex as these functions are to do all these quick and cool and crazy tricks uh, for spatialization, our ears and our brains are that much better. So what happens is if you're stationary. Your brain can project itself and kind of break, go in there and get immersed in this, right? Because you're not moving. The second you have to start moving your head and the sound's adjusting to you, or it's in a virtual environment and you're not right. walking around the scene, right? Well, then it becomes different because now our mouse is what's moving our vision, right? Our inner ear has no adjustment. And there is this disconnect that happens even if you move your head, even in real life. There's this washing type moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where it kind of washes or there's blood pressure or a certain type of, you feel, you feel those shifts. When you don't have that physical manifestation, it kind of spoils the illusion, right? Your brain, it's like, hey, that's not, that's not really coming from there. I know because I'm, you know, million years of evolution plus your, plus your life. You're not tricking this, right? And so that becomes a lot more difficult to trick in a virtual environment, which enters into sound propagation. The next layer of that is, in order to pull us off convincingly, if you're walking around a scene and you're now you're visualizing the barbershop, I can stand up from the barber chair. I can walk around. Now are the trimmers, is, do, they, do they gradually shift when I go up and down above my head, below? If I go right up and put them right behind you know, my ear, do I hear it from right there or not, right? That's when it becomes an interesting test case. And most times you don't. With, with, with standard HRTF, which is where sound propagation comes in, because now you've got, if in the real world, sounds bounce and echo and reverberate off of the room. So as you're walking, again, all these subtle cues that are even more that our brain picks up, that HRTF alone cannot really sell full board. It needs a little bit more, right? Um, so that's where something like, let's take a project, just to get, I'm not advertising this, I'm just saying to give, a, give you a rundown of how complex this is. If you take, there's a, Microsoft has one called Project Acoustics, okay? And it is like Steam Audio to the nth degree. It's amazing. Mm. It's, it's wonderful. It's so much more complex. Hands down winner. But here's the catch. It cannot do it in real time. It's too, it's too complex. Mm. So here's what it does. No, but it does it in real time, but not the way I'm saying it. You know, when Half-Life came out and you had shadows, the first games we saw where you had shadows that were affected by the environment, yeah. a box cast a shadow or whatever. I think it was Half-Life or Half-Life 2 or whatever. The Ravenholm map or whatever. Oh, this looks amazing. Well, how did they do that? They baked in the shadows, yeah. right? You build the map, you bake them in. Mm-hmm. As long as there's not dynamic lights going on, 
the scene looks consistent. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So this is what the Project Acoustics guys do. They realize up front, hey, we don't have the horsepower to do a 100% dynamic lighting. No way. Let's go back Go back in time, right? We can't, we can't pull it off in real time for every light source. No way. What we can do, however, is bake it in. So Steam Audio's baking is only for static sources, sound sources. So all the demos you see, it's a, somebody playing a piano or playing music, a little orb, right, that stays stationary. And they, they've, they've baked in, which means it's, it's gone ahead of time, computed all these cool functions to place it. And then you're walking around and interacting with the static, like, understanding of it, right? It cannot do movement. The second that, that sound source starts moving, oh, we got to do it in real time. You can't bake stuff ahead of time now. Okay, so that's, that's performance starts hitting. So here's what Project Acoustics does. They say, okay, check this out. We will let every sound source can do it. Dynamic, moving, everything, but here's the catch. We compute this all ahead of time. And just to give you, a, again, an understanding, you put this on a supercomputer, a map, and you say, okay, build me, and it goes, picture like these little, you know, a ball pit when you're a kid in a ball pit. Mm-hmm. Picture mm-hmm. a ball pit. You open up a ball pit and all these balls are spread out all over the ground, right? What it does, and this is what anything baking does this, every single ball, I'm going to play a sound from right here. What would it sound like? Next ball. From there, what would it sound like? From there, throughout as as large of a radius as you set it up to do. So what you end up with is when it, it calculates this all behind the scenes, generate this for me, and it takes days. Computer, 24-7, not touching it, beast of a machine, days. We'll get back to you when it's done. It's that complex. When it gets done, you marry it up with the map, and then it's a lookup table. Yeah. It already does the heavy lifting. Now the player in real time gets to have these echoes, these delays, things, uh, like I'm saying, sound rushing through hallways and stuff. It can do all that because it did the heavy lifting in advance. And it is freaking amazing what that sounds like. And that's where, but what's the catch? It's not for free as far as computationally, right? If you want to run it on your own system, you can. Their thing is, that's kind of their, I guess, how they get their money. You can have their Azure supercomputers do it. So pay for uh-huh. a server time. We'll crunch it through you, for you, right? That's It's free. It's free. The whole thing is just like a Steam Audio, free plugin, free whatever. You can do it yourself if you want to, but... To really crank through at, let's say, a manageable, manageable time scale, right, to be able to iterate on maps, you probably want their supercomputers, right? Now, here's what's interesting. You look at the cost of a dev developer doing this all by hand, fiddling with his stuff, the sound mm-hmm. zones, all the stuff you have to do with, with sound engines manually. Okay, what if you take off that dev time and let Project Acoustics do it? It does the whole thing. It actually, you don't have to do anything. It scans the map's geometry and voxelizes it and does wow. it all. All you have to do is tag different materials. This yeah. is a stone. This is a carpet. This is a whatever. Okay, fine. I'll do it the rest for you. Don't say no more. And it's unreal. But you see how, like, Audio Kinetic with WIs, they have one they're trying called Reflect, which is kind of their version of Steam Audio. And what you see is they're running into the same headaches that Steam Audio is. They've got this amazing real-time computation stuff going on. But the second you get multiple sound sources, a complex scene, like you think of how, um, how un- non-standard uh, EFT scenes are, 
right? Yeah. All these weird shapes and slopes and shootout edges and stuff, right? They're not like these these crisp 90-degree things right. that you see in most shooters. Like you mentioned earlier, Giga, about maps being devoid of clutter. Well, here, you step into a, a warehouse, a lighthouse, you've got tons of objects that break your sight line, right? Well, all that is if you have a, if you have a raycast coming and it hits an obstacle, in, in, in dumb audio, it says, oh, it's occluded, right? The sound hit a thing and didn't get to you direct precisely, so it's occluded. Well, in real life, sound flows around something, right? Steam Audio calls this volumetric occlusion. Project Acoustics does this, again, behind the scenes to an nth degree on the fly because things flow like it's a liquid, like it's a fluid, right? Um, but it goes back to realistic. That's stuff we talked about earlier. At what degree, right? There's a thing in real life where they call it a boomerang. There's probably more iterations now, but it's called boomerang. They use it on like up armored Humvees and stuff and like uh, technicals. It's so hard to position a sound in real life when you're in an urban setting because everything echoes and reverberates yeah. and cascades and stuff. You have no, you have no clue. Like really, you literally have no clue. I've done stuff shooting in mountains where things, if even that is complicated, right? Uh, there's there's an art to that you have to learn. You have to really sit there and train yourself to understand these, and you have to have people training, shooting stuff over you, around you to, to pinpoint this stuff. Well, what this is is it's a thing that does the stuff. You put it on the deal, and it's a giant supercomputer that takes sound impulses and maps them out. So where you can see, oh, that's southwest. Oh, it's coming from nine o'clock, ten o'clock, mm -hmm. whatever, and it just shows. Even in real life, it's tough. So what we'd see here is, I'd imagine, most people don't know what real sound propagation would be like if it hit them in the face from a gamer standpoint, right? All I've done is play CSGO or Apex, where sound is, we cheat. We can hear through a wall. We can hear whatever. We can right. do sound cues to know. In real life, that stuff's not there. Um, and it's even, yeah. it's some ways more confusing in real life. It's funny, right. just like you mentioned that stuff. I like immediately think of me just like shouting to my wife being just like, hey, and she's like, hey, and I like wander into a room and I'm just like, where are you? And she's like, I'm upstairs. I'm just like, goddamn vertical occlusion in my house, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, and what a, there's a dude, a vortex bear I talked to, he gave a real great example where they moved to a new home and it was like a different layout of the home. It took them, he's like, it took me a while to understand what things sounded like from where. Just like you're saying, even, even something that you're familiar with, sometimes you could be confused. Would players want that? I don't know. I think it'd be amazing, but that's just me, you know? Yeah, it's complicated. You've, yeah, that's that's very, very, very in depth, very insightful. It's super, super interesting. Honestly, I mean, uh, yeah, we will definitely we'll have to get you back on at some point so we can talk yeah. about this stuff more. Honestly, like it's, I was uh, going to say, cool. when they come out with a new audio implementation, you're you're next up, good sir. You know, sweet. in the twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, whatever that happens. Yeah, we'll get you back on for sure. Okay, well, hold on. We're pegging twenty twenty three. I'm writing that down. Is that your prediction? <laughs> uh <laughs> I spoke to No, it's been yeah, it's no, been no, great having you on, man. I, mm -hmm. I really appreciate you coming on. I definitely definitely want to have you on again. I feel like there's so much more we could discuss and uh learn from you because you seems like you've done a lot of your homework and uh where can um where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you or check out some of your videos or Whatever the case may be. Yeah, I'd say, uh, so I, YouTube's the best thing. I, I do stuff every now and then on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so Spectator 6 on YouTube. And on the forums, I, I still do forums every now and then. Um, and I do some stuff on Reddit. It's a, it's a different name. But anyway, just you, you can reach out to me there and get in touch with me and stuff. Uh, or just watch what's things, I'm, 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 what's cooking and stuff. Now, this 
as far as your role as an emissary goes, do you like? I don't want to like sign you up to be like, hey, send your buck reports to Spectator Six, you know? <laughs> like, do you, with I guess maybe your friend group or circle group or people you're involved with, do you sort of like get feedback? How do you get feedback through through stuff like that for BSG? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, you're talking about like how they how we submit the bug reports and how they do the interface and stuff. No, I guess like um, as far as you relaying stuff to BSG, like oh, how yeah, do you yeah. source that stuff, that type of stuff? Yeah, uh, well, that's again, there's uh, I'm not so much on that end of the spectrum so much. Like my group is okay. maybe like uh, 20 people or so. That's not really my bread, bread and butter. I don't uh, I don't have this huge community I curate and have all these thousands of people I run it through. Um, but I do with. These guys, these guys that are, they're kind of old school like me, they'll they'll go through this stuff with a fine tooth comb. So they're the ones who submitting bug reports, doing these huge write ups and stuff. They love it, and they understand it, and they really spend a lot of time on that kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's just kind of quality over quantity, maybe. In that, in that sense. I got you. I got you. But same thing. I mean, if there is something you want you want me to raise into, I mean, feel free to reach out to me uh, and let me know. Um, and I, again, I run up, run it up the flagpole. There's a lot of stuff. I will say, there's so many players. It's something that makes it so fun. It's so active now. Uh, there's a lot of redundancy, which is good. There's very rare we have something where it's like, oh, we never heard of that before, right? We've already had lots. Of, I'm not saying don't submit bug reports. Every every system, yeah, every kind yeah, of yeah. configuration helps them pinpoint it and find out what's going on. So, uh, but yeah, they're they're on the ball. I'm really impressed by that. Cool. Other than that, Giga, you got any closing thoughts? No, I think I'm. I think I'm good. I'm just. I'm just. I'm reeling from the some of the audio info. I'm gonna have to go away and think about it a bit more. <laughs> I want to look up that that video. I feel like I've seen that video. Maybe that was just Steam H, or maybe it's just a generic HTRF or whatever it's called demonstration. But yeah, I, look I think up there, was, that video. there was one that I watched, and I don't even know if it was this one because the more you spoke about it, it wasn't even a generated one. It was like a literal, real recording with two microphones in a dummy head right because yeah. that's like yes. the way that you do it realistically right because you just take two mics you put it in two ears and a realistic <laughs> head with the same similar properties as somebody's actual head and then lo and behold it sounds like it's in your head when you put the two things in and they split the audio tracks properly right yes yeah, um, yeah. that's kind For of what i think Yep. Yeah, for recreating like, a sound source, it's great. Exactly. That's and it's it's like it's like VR, but for the ears, you know. And it's exactly <laughs> like just the only final thing I'll say is that the um, it's a little bit like you know saying about how you, if you're not simulating everything, the brain gets confused and some of the magic is lost. It's exactly like VR. You know, you you go fast or you turn or you flip over, do a barrel roll in the plane in VR, and you're sat in your seat in real life, and your brain gets confused and feels really sick because uh-huh. um, you see the stuff that's not actually happening to your body. So it's. Yeah, very yeah. sensitive. The brain's very clever, but you have to give it all the inputs, otherwise it gets confused. And you have to trick it. That's the, that's a cool part too. Yeah. You can trick it again. The power of suggestion. We have to do all the stuff with a monitor and two speakers, right? There's, mm-hmm. You have to you have to fake stuff. You have to trick it. And there's some cool things you can do to trick it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. This so, was yeah. great, guys. I loved it. Thanks for having me on. You guys are it's a good group to talk. I loved it. Awesome. I awesome. appreciate that. Well, with that, everyone, we'll wrap it up, and we'll see you all next week. Catch you later.